Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone, or good evening, or good afternoon, wherever you're located on this spinning planetary orb circling a G-type star in the outer regions of the Milky Way. Welcome to home, everyone. Home which is in danger. Tonight, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Um, Instead of going through some news at the top of the show and then segueing to our guest, I'm going to get right to the heart of the matter because the news tonight is what our guest is going to talk about. We're going to talk about the California fires and the ascending, accelerating global crisis, this slow motion crisis that we're facing. And we're going to talk about technology and physics and politics and stubborn people and people who are too busy to notice what's going on in their own backyard until it burns down then they pay attention. We're going to talk about Hollywood and stars and what stars are doing and what they're not doing. And what they're not doing is political action that could be meaningful. We're going to talk about elections and governors and briefings and uh, a whole bunch of stuff. To start with, I want to point your attention to Radio with Pictures tonight. So you know the drill. You go to the other side of midnight.com. You click on tonight's graphic for my guest, Dane Wigington. That will take you to his guest page. Scroll down and radio with pictures. I have two top items I want you to take a look at. One is a video, a drone video of Paradise, California, or what used to be Paradise. It's no longer Paradise, folks. And number two is someone, an actual uh, live shot taken by a fleeing resident who was one of the last to be able to get out of town, and it's a harrowing car ride up that single-lane, double-lane highway, past all kinds of, of burning buildings and vehicles. I mean, it's just, it, it looks like, it really looks like a war zone. And we're going to talk about tonight what's behind this. We're going to talk about agendas. Then we're going to talk about hidden agendas. We're going to talk about news that you may not be getting, news that at the moment is circumstantial because no one has admitted anything yet. But there's a lot of physics to be gleaned from looking at these these images, these pictures. And I'm going to take you and, and uh, Dane through some of what I'm seeing. And then we're going to just compare notes. This is a, a live show. There's been nothing rehearsed. So what you're going to hear is a real-time conversation as we struggle to come to grips with, I'm not sure what. I mean, I think we're looking at a mixture of crises. I don't think we're looking at any one thing. I think we're looking at more than one thing. And the more than one thing is kind of piggybacking or hiding under the other things. And we'll straighten that all out in the next three hours. So I want you to kind of sit back and uh, put your feet up and really stay focused because tonight is not going to be a normal show. It's going to segue 
into tomorrow night. Tonight we're going to talk about issues and problems and what we can do politically. Tomorrow night with James DeMeo, we're going to talk about what we might do technically with some extraordinary science. Notice I didn't say it's new science. It's been practiced around this planet for decades, everywhere, really, except here. Why does the United States, which went to the moon, why do we lag in these cutting-edge issues? Well, the answer is obviously political. So, and when I say political, I'm not talking Democrats, Republicans, I'm talking bigger politics, underlying politics, the kind of paradigm under which we live. Whoever controls reality controls the future, that kind of thing. The, um, you know, the gray man in uh, X-Files. Anyway, before we get into the heart of it, I do have one thing I want to make mention. Um, up until this this weekend when the fires became overwhelmingly obvious as the most important story, there was another story that passed kind of midweek. Stan Lee, who is the venerable creator of the Marvel Universe, all those amazing films that have multiple storylines and multiple levels of meaning and interconnectivity, all that cinema um, came in, in major part from the fertile imagination and mind and creativity and genius of Stan Lee. Stan Lee died this week at the age of 95. And so at some point, probably next weekend, we're going to do a show talking about Stan Lee and these movies, these tentpole films, and what they've done to our global planetary consciousness to lift us out of the mundane into things that they sound like science fiction. In fact, some of the things you're going to hear about tonight sound like science fiction, but no, they're not. Remember my old friend Arthur Clarke's dictum, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, particularly if you don't know how it works. So tonight we're going to get into some of how it works. Um, so without further ado, let me, let me introduce my guest, because I've been wanting to have this gentleman on for quite a while. We tried, uh, I think, last year during the fire season, or maybe it was hurricane season, because nothing seems to be as it's, as it's represented anymore. There's always a backstory, always a hidden element. You know, are hurricanes natural? Does someone soup them up? You know, we can ask those questions now legitimately because we've seen, like Maria and Cat Fives in Puerto Rico and the response, we've seen stunning things happen right in front of our TV screens, and yet officials do not apparently want to come clean with the full depth and breadth of what's really going on. We're going to try to pull back some curtains tonight so that we can be better informed uh, presenting to tomorrow night. Dane Wigington has a background in solar energy. He is a former employee of the Bechtel Power Corporation and was a licensed contractor in California and Arizona. He's been engaged in constant climate geoengineering research for at least the last 15 years. And I'm telling you, he works 80 hours a day, so I know what that's like sometimes. Dane's personal residence was featured in, an, on a, in a cover article on the world's largest renewable energy magazine called Home Power. He owns a wildlife preserve next to Lake Shasta in Northern California, which puts him right in the middle of the firestorm, no pun intended. Dane has put all his focused efforts and energy researching the climate engineering issues that he's going to talk about tonight when he began to lose very significant amounts of solar uptake due to ever-increasing solar obscuration 
caused from jet aircraft spraying in the skies above his mountaintop home. They noted a significant decline in forest health was simultaneously occurring and appeared to be accelerating. Extensive testing and research into the geoengineering issue was commenced and has continued now on his part since 2002. Dane is the lead researcher for geoengineeringwatch.org and has investigated all levels of geoengineering from stratospheric aerosol geoengineering to solar radiation management to ionospheric heating facilities like good old HARP up there in Alaska. He's appeared in numerous films and on radio interviews such as this in an effort to educate the public on the extremely dire environmental and health dangers we face from ongoing global climate intervention programs. He currently lives in Shasta County, California. Dane Wigington, welcome to the other side. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for all your work and for your willingness to help educate people in the specifics of this issue, which I would argue, mathematically speaking, is the greatest and most immediate threat we face short of nuclear cataclysm. Well, I think one of the real problems with it is it's not like a nuclear cataclysm in that it isn't a sudden event. It's slow motion, and people tend to ignore or try to put out of their mind things that don't grab their attention. So whatever's being done appears to be uh, operating with with uh, snail-like, of course, it's now accelerating, but it appeared to be under the radar for an awful lot of people. Why don't you take us back to where, for you, this began? Talk about your dad, because your dad, I just learned, was basically deeply into forest management and trees and that's an extraordinarily interesting beginning to look at environment from. First, if I could just acknowledge what you stated as being exactly correct. Uh, this issue, because it's been going on for 70 plus years at significant scale, and those changes have come on slowly, and even relating to the dying of the trees, many have simply not noticed. They don't recall what a healthy tree with a healthy canopy or crown looks like. And, and so as the forest even dies before us, many have unfortunately not taken notice, just like they have not taken notice of the slowly disappearing blue skies. But I grew up with trees. I have always had immense reverence for trees. No trees, no people. That's a simple equation. And to, to plant trees, which was one of my most revered pastimes, I would, I would have spent my life, Richard, in the forest restoring habitat, planting trees, and, and I, I could plant about 300 in a day. It's not like some small-scale operation. I could do that myself, and we ran crews, as I share with you off-air. I've done uh, six major habitat restoration programs, three federal, three state, my funds, their funds. Everybody participates because it's going into the environment. But now those trees, of which 12 years ago or more, I could myself plant 300, they're called plugs, they're small saplings, in a day and have a 95% success rate for them making it through the first year. The success rate now is zero. So when I, when wait, I wait, moved wait, out wait. of Say that again? The success rate right now here for planting saplings, because people think you can just reforest and everything will be fine. The success rate, because conditions are so unimaginably harsh now and 
as you also correctly stated, many, many factors. That is exactly true. It's not just this or that. It's this and that and countless other factors that are affecting our biosphere and the health of our biosphere. But climate engineering, single greatest factor. Now conditions have become so harsh that the success rate for planting saplings in Northern California, at least, and in, in, in it, it's the same all over, but I can say this factually on, on our part of Northern California, the success rate is zero. Nothing lives grief. through the first year. That's so insane. where do we go with that? That's insane. Nothing in, in, in nature is ever zero. There's always a percentage, even a small percentage, that survive just because of uh, genetic diversity. But in this case, because with replants, the first year is so critical, we've gone from, quote, summer here. And this is, we have, we could have some hot summers historically here, but although even that is not accurate compared to pre-industrial baselines, but we've gone from a three-month summer to an eight-month summer. And quite simply, the organisms cannot adjust fast enough to to deal with such a situation. So we don't even see below the forest canopy where you had a lot of natural uh, regrowth of the seedlings. We don't see anything coming up anymore. So uh, rarely you might see in a, in, a, in a very particular location, you might see one or two that are completely stunted. But in addition to the heat, in addition to the immense UV radiation, it's bombardius. We can get to that when you, when you want to reach that point. But these are issues most directly related to climate engineering and be, the reduction of the hydrological cycle and, and this is critical, we know that there is highly toxic heavy metals and chemicals in the rainfall. You asked how I, I started this sojourn. I, I wanted to get out of Southern California. I grew up in, in very smoggy region. I always was perplexed at why the adults weren't alarmed that we couldn't see a quarter mile. You couldn't breathe. All I could think about was getting out of there. And when I finally, after my life's work, made it to Northern California, had habitat reserve off-grid and wanted to spend the rest of my days trying to restore the forest. And I couldn't because I knew it. But, well, when I saw what was happening above us and I felt I should have known about what was happening given my background, but I, there was so little uh, disclosed about it. I began to research, found mountains, voluminous data on the climate engineering issue that was not being disclosed. I began to do rain tests. I'll lead this back into the trees. Give me a moment. Okay. I began to I began to do precipitation tests. And my first test, I did not want to find the primary elements in climate engineering patents. I, I wanted to somehow disprove that this was happening above me because I knew if, if that metal, starting with aluminum, which is a primary element in climate engineering patents, if that metal was present in that precipitation test, I knew it would change the entire course of my life because I... I can't look the other way. I've never, ever been able to look the other way. First rain test, seven parts per billion of aluminum. I contacted a hydrogeologist who made it clear, and he was reluctant to talk about the issue. He clearly knew about it. He made it clear that I should have less than one part per billion, one PPB, given my filtered forested locations. Subsequent tests over the next 12 to 18 months, single rain events, the amount of aluminum in a single rain event skyrocketed as high as 3,450 ppb, almost a 50,000% increase. So not only is the intense UV frying the trees, the cutting off of the rain, the hydrological cycle, which we know is a direct result of climate engineering, you have highly toxic metals starting with aluminum 
that are in the precipitation. These particles are so small, it makes them very bioavailable to the organisms. We have peer-reviewed study to prove that in the case of aluminum, root systems detect this and shut down nutrient uptake, and they literally starve to death. The, the organisms begin to starve to death because they shut down nutrient uptake because of this bioavailable metal in the rain. It's changing soil pH values, also radically affecting trees that are adapted for specific soil pHs. From every conceivable direction, climate engineering is literally shutting down the web of life. Now, I became aware of the so-called chemtrail situation back in the 80s, and I was, I was on coast an awful lot, and Art and I discussed actually trying to borrow a Learjet to go up to altitude to get samples so we could get actual you know, on-site truth of what was in this spraying, because there was a huge, you know, back and forth, ah, oh, you're all seeing things, it's all nuts, it's just normal water coming out of jet engines, that kind of thing. And I wasn't able, for some reason, nobody, and we reached a very large audience with, with Bell Show, nobody volunteered an aircraft to literally do samples so that we could find out. I was I was frankly stunned because he had an audience of millions. You would think there'd been a few millionaires, you know, private guys with private jets and all that, who had said, "Sure, let's let's go do something." Nobody stepped forward. Dane, why not? Has the word been passed to everybody who gets an FC, FAA license that if you involve yourself in this, you'll be grounded? I mean, is it that draconian behind the scenes that nobody is talking about this in the mainstream? Forest people, you know, agriculture people, technology people. Um, you've got some amazing images we're going to go through. I'm not quite sure how you got them. You can maybe tell us, or maybe you can't. But it seems to me this is the biggest problem facing humanity, and nobody's talking. There's a number of reasons for that, and let's let's start with this. There's an illegal federal gag order on all National Weather Service and all NOAA employees. We got the heads up on that. I received a, a letter with no return address, no indication of who sent it. It was from PEER, the Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, giving me the heads up that that had just occurred. This was a number of years ago. We published on that immediately. So they are gagging the weathermen, literally. In regard to military personnel or anyone else involved with these programs, I did a one-hour commercial-free interview with General Richard Rolig two-star U.S. Air Force former Major General. He was gracious enough to give me that interview, although I hope he carries the ball further. But he made clear in that interview, it's posted at geoengineeringwatch.org, he gave at least a good indication of just how severe the consequences would be for anyone involved with these programs that dared to speak out. And certainly everyone's monitored and they know it. Let me give another example. Kristen Meghan, former U.S. Air Force industrial hygienist, 12-year Air Force veteran. I had a number of communications with Kristen. Kristen, very brave woman, spoke out on the record numerous times. But in my last conversation with her, she told me that she had received a phone call from her former base commander telling her or asking her if she continued with this, who would take care of her daughter. And she knew what that meant. And she's gone off the radar since then. For others, when we look at personnel, I, we're working with commercial pilots, for example, and commercial aircraft are absolutely being used. We know they're being used because we have film footage of the dispersions being turned on and off. We have film footage 
at altitude and from the ground with high-res uh, telescopic equipment. We have photographs of the nozzles, retrofit nozzles mounted on the pylons on commercial aircraft aimed into the exhaust jet stream to make this look like condensation, which it is not. Mm. Are the commercial pilots and personnel involved? No. There would be no reason for them to be involved. And even those who know this is going wait, 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 on. Wait, wait, wait. When you do a walk around for a flight, if you're, you're a captain, and you see some strange piece of equipment on your aircraft, don't you ask questions? Certainly, you're correct. Again, certainly they know, as I was stating, they definitely know. But they also know how long their leash is. They know that if they wish to preserve their employment, their paychecks, and their pensions, this is a no-go subject. The pilots that we do communicate with occasionally and supply our materials to, I think some of which I sent you, our 20-page fact and photo summary booklets, some with the, I think you have some of those pages posted, they leave them in conspicuous places while no one is looking. Mm. And that's as, that's as brave as they are at this point. Certainly they know. But this is the massive elephant in the room that no one's willing to address. We know environmental groups know. We have a legal team. We're suing the government of Canada. We are suing the U.S. Department of Commerce to get our Freedom of Information Act request releases to us. And in the, the course of communicating our attorneys with environmental group attorneys, Greenpeace, Sierra Club, uh, Earth Justice, and so forth, they know this is going on, but they're afraid of losing their 501c3s, their nonprofits. Okay, let me. Let me so, we have only three hours. I mean, it's obvious now that we could do many more shows on this. So, <laughs> let me let, let me do let me do several things. Let me start with the basics for people who are listening, who've been you know vacationing on Mars over the last several years. They may not know what we're talking about. So let's go back to square one. What is geoengineering and climate engineering? And the collateral question is, when, long before apparently the 80s when I started looking, when did this really begin? You mentioned a very interesting number, which turns out to be right after World War II. So take it, give us an historical perspective. What are they doing? When did they begin? And the biggest question, why the hell are they doing it? I, I, I greatly appreciate your ability to articulate, remember, and... Um, direct this discussion. You're exactly correct. These programs were deployed at scale directly after World War II. Richard, you've seen the massive trails left by the B-17s, correct? Mm-hmm. And everyone assumes because everyone is told that that was all simply condensation. One, we not only know that those aircraft had water vapor injection systems on them, but two, they appear to have been used for beta testing for the climate engineering deployment, which they knew they were going to do immediately after World War II. From military archives, we recovered and have posted video footage of a B-17 leaving massive swath behind it, massive trails shutting off at altitude instantly. That is not condensation, period. Would those in power care that that made those aircraft much more visible and thus much easier targets? No, they don't care. They've never cared. Anyone who thinks that our government cares, and I know you know this, that cares about our soldiers, let's consider the soldiers that were told to put their goggles on and go watch the nuclear bomb go off, all of which you died later from cancer. Well, the, the, the incredible example, I think, is I've, I've seen the old films of guys in Nevada after a tactical nuke test literally taking brooms 
and sweeping each other off with fallout with brooms while the mushroom cloud is rising behind them. Exactly. So again, we, we unfortunately live in a society with people who have uh, Stockholm Syndrome, a population that does, and they still want to believe their government is there to protect them. It couldn't be further from the truth. So, so back to the what. Well, wait, wait, wait. When, when you make a blanket statement, see, that's where you lose some people. Because I've always said, and maybe I'm wrong, if you'll, you'll give me data and you'll maybe prove me wrong, but I've always said most of the system is honest. Where it breaks down is those within it that are not, that subvert it. And when you're working next to people, you don't look at them every morning and say, is this guy on the level? That's not how human populations work, where they work together. So everyone's assuming that most people are honest in the system and it only takes a few in strategic positions to subvert, you know, all kinds of systems if they really have a plan and they're working with other similar minded people. I wish I could convince myself of that after the last 15 years of, of hard research. And I simply am unable to anymore. And there are reasons for that. I know, and I know a lot of academicians in the system who absolutely know this is going on. They're not about to say anything. And thus, by their complacency, are part of the problem. As Edmund Burke said, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. But I would argue a good man wouldn't do nothing. A good man would do something. I've been in the field with government scientists whom I know, doing soil pH testing, coming up with values 10 to 12 times above the baselines, which we have. And they sheepishly look at me and say, what do you want me to do about it? How about standing up and doing your job and disclosing what you've discovered? And none of them will. None of them will. They want to go to work at eight, come home at five and, and not rock their own boat. And I would argue we have a responsibility, an obligation. It's not an option. It's an obligation to uh, disclose something if it's clearly radically wrong. And so at this point, I'm not suggesting that everyone in the system is pulling the trigger. Of course, they're not. But by their complacency, we continue down a path that leads to mathematically certain near-term omnicide. So, yes, I agree. All of us know, work with, perhaps have family members that are a part of the system, not necessarily actively, but passively, certainly. We continue down this road. Let's take academia, for example. I'll get back to the what on the climate engineering in a moment when you think it's appropriate. But in academia... We have the, nearly the whole of academia, with only a few exceptions, that have been so well conditioned that they will refuse to acknowledge anything that is not uh, approved by a power structure organization with a, with a power structure organization approved so-called study, which are unimaginably untruthful in so many ways. So unless or until something is acknowledged as a truth by the power structure, even if it's blatant and glaring, they won't acknowledge it. And so only a few academicians, we have a, a few former government scientists that we work with that helped us to publish things, for example, like this, Richard. I, to my knowledge, we were the first to, at any scale, publish that aquatic and terrestrial insects, insect populations had crashed. We published nearly 10 years ahead of recent publications, which I'm sure you've seen, Insect Apocalypse, uh, Insect Populations Crashing, those are some of the titles, 80%, 80% plus insect population cr 
crashes and they're just now disclosing it 10 years after us, how can that possibly be? We, we stated five to six years ahead of anyone else that the greater issue, for example, with the bees, Richard, you know the bees are crashing. Yes. You know the bee yes. population. So we published that although radio frequency signals and glyphosate and other chemicals were definite problems, there was a much bigger and more widespread problem. That problem was heavy metals, bioavailable heavy metals coming down through the air column. We knew we, bees were dying a thousand miles from the nearest farm. There obviously was a bigger problem. And uh, we, named, we named aluminum specifically, even to some of the nation's largest beekeepers. No one would respond. Now we have peer-reviewed study to prove that the bees are dying of symptoms that resemble Alzheimer's and dementia in a human being because of massive aluminum exposure. Any response from all the beekeepers and all the farmers? Nothing. Nothing. No acknowledgement. Nobody wants to stand out from the herd. And I'm sorry if we don't break that herd mentality and people don't find their courage and they continue to hide in their cabin on the deck of the Titanic uh, while the ship goes down, it won't save us. I'll tell you what. Hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. And we're going to get to uh, this evening to a very interesting conversation about Paradise, California. And one of our producers, John Francis, thought it might be interesting if we actually gave a small nod to Joni Mitchell and a song about paradise. You're on the other side of midnight. My guest this morning, Dane Wigington. We're talking about geoengineering, climate change, modifying the planet without its occupants' permission, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Anyway, as we go out, let's take a listen to Joni Mitchell because she framed this issue many decades ago. We shall return. You don't know what you've got till it's gone They paid paradise, put up a parking lot Now they took all the trees, put them in a tree museum And they charged all the people a dollar and a half just to see them I said, don't it always seem to go? You don't know what you've got till it's gone Play paradise, put up a parking lot Hey farmer, farmer, put away that DDT now Give me spots on my apples, believe me, the birds and the bees Don't it always seem to go? They don't know what you've got till it's gone They pay paradise, put up a parking lot Last night, I heard that screen door slam And a big yellow taxi come and took away my old man Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone They pay paradise, put up a parking lot Late last night, I heard that screen door slam Big yellow tractor come and took away my house It took away my land I said, don't it always seem to go You don't know what you've got till it's gone The day paradise put up a parking lot The day paradise put up a parking lot The day paradise put up a parking lot 
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership cost $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back to the other side of midnight from the land of enchantment, New Mexico. We're getting the smoke from the fires in California here again. We were getting them this spring, and depending upon the air currents, you can actually look at the satellite maps and the geostationary satellite images and the the video links, and you can see the, the smoke fanning out literally from what used to be sea to shining sea. Dane, I, I, I guess we have to go back before we get into the politics. We have to go back and define the problem. You say this began, this large scale uh, geoengineering efforts began right at the end of World War II. Why don't you describe what their perception was of the problem, what they were trying to do to solve it, and how that has morphed into what's going on in California tonight? Certainly want to make clear that it's there's more to the climate engineering issue than climate engineering. It's also weather warfare. It is the crown jewel of the military industrial complex. They can bring a country to its knees without the inhabitants of that country ever even realizing that they're at war. So if we go back to the the stated objectives and what the military industrial complex and governments around the globe in fact knew was occurring, the planet was warming rapidly. There's no question about this. These gases that are being emitted don't just float off into space. We live in a fishbowl. And I, again, I, for those that are polarized in this issue, and I know many are, I'm simply encouraging them. This is not about Al Gore. It's not about carbon credits. It's simply about reality. So the climate engineering operations, again, deployed right after World War II. What do we see with global temperatures leading up to World War II and just after World War II? They were going straight up by 1945. What happened after that? A very anomalous and inexplicable leveling off of the temperatures. It appears that the first climate engineering deployment, and and let me, if we hold at that moment, let me fill in this one blank for your listeners that don't quite understand what we're talking about. Solar radiation management, the primary form of climate engineering, aka geoengineering, to fill the sky with light scattering particulates to deflect some of the sun's incoming thermal radiation to try to mitigate the warming planet by simply blocking some of the sun with no real concern over the consequences. The downstream so, so basically they were trying to create parasols, trillions and trillions of little parasols 
that will screen the ground from solar energy and reflect it back into space and, and even out the so-called heat budget of the planet. Yes, but much like the pharmaceutical industrial approach for the human body, no real concern over the consequences. The geoengineering would, would and has destroyed the ozone layer, completely disrupted the hydrological cycle, and completely contaminated the entire planet. But they began operations initially over the polar regions, i.e. where do we have the ozone holes first? We know from Antarctica. And this had a very profound effect on global temperatures. And although we cannot know how much was statistical manipulation and how much actually occurred, because there's a great deal of statistical manipulation going on, unimaginable. So what we saw officially was a leveling off of global temperatures up to the mid-70s. And Richard, you might remember, and this is brought up a lot with people who don't want to believe we've harmed the climate. They say, well, in the 70s, they were saying an ice age was coming. I well, remember writing some stories for American Way magazine, you know, when it was snowing in July in New York. Okay, to, that's another subject called chemical ice nucleation for weather modification. But let me fill in this first blank and I'll fill in the second. So we had that leveling off of temperatures. The climate science community was not privy to what the military was doing. And again, a certain percentage may have been statistical manipulation to convince others that geoengineering would allow them to conduct business as usual indefinitely, which is not the case. And, and so you had a percentage of the climate scientists in the 70s that were perplexed at why the more linear rise in temperatures had not happened. But once the negative feedback loops, mechanisms start to kick in, i.e. again, ozone depletion, disruption of the hydrological cycle, these particulates trap more heat than they deflect overall. So the temperatures begin to rise again, quite precipitously. By 1998, when we had the warmest year ever up to that point, uh, they just after 1998, they radically doubled down in the programs again, because that's what the military industrial complex does. If something stops working or isn't working, you just do more. You're just not doing enough. So many making so much money off these programs. Boeing, Lockheed Martin, building aircraft. We have American Elements Corporation, which appears to be a primary material supplier. This is a bonanza for these people. So all they know how to do is to do more. And, and that's, in fact, the, the, the path that we're on. In regard to the very anomalous snow events, Richard, and, and this is a very, very important part of geoengineering for people to understand, especially those even right now under the Recent record winter snowstorm Avery over part of the East Coast. They named the storms to make them more theatrical, more impressive. Where is the most engineered cool down zone on the entire planet? The eastern half of the North American continent. Why? Because that's where most of the people live in the U.S. And that keeps them divided and confused as to the true state of climate implosion for as long as possible. So there's a process called chemical ice nucleation for weather modification. We've posted some of the primary patents on this. Uh, and, and by the way, information is easy to find on our site. Richard, if people search geoengineeringwatch.org, chemical ice nucleation, or geoengineeringwatch.org, engineering fires, or geoengineeringwatch.org, engineering drought. Easy to find in one of the 2,500 articles on our site. What do these processes do? If they have enough storm cloud moisture and that moisture is seeded with chemical ice nucleating elements, there's a number of these elements, both biological and chemical, it can literally chemically nucleate that, turn what should have been liquid precipitation to frozen precipitation, create a cool, dense layer of air that sinks to the surface, can be only a few hundred feet thick sometimes, and that's why the Weather Channel paid disinformation people are constantly trying to explain why there's an ice storm 
at sea level and it's 50 degrees and raining on top of the local mountain range. They're trying to explain this away. So yeah, that, they, 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 they always talk about what's called temperature inversions. Correct. But the, the disruption and the, the, some of the uh, completely anomalous uh, atmospheric scenarios we have now are completely related to climate engineering. And those chemical nucleating elements often reach the surface before they set up as ice. That's why we have so many ice storms now, now the norm, the transition before what now the, some of the, the paid disinformation so-called weather forecasters called the, the change over to snow. And snow so often now has nothing to do with elevation. You're either on the cold side of the quote winter storm or the warm side of the quote winter storm. Since when does a winter storm have a warm side? We have hurricanes bringing snow in, in some cases, like Hurricane Sandy. It's, it's patently absurd. We have, we have examples, Richard. Let me give a stunning example. And I know this data inside out, upside down, and backwards. May 1st, 2013, Amarillo, Texas. 100 degrees on the ground, all-time record high. It snowed the next day. October 4th, 2013, in South Dakota, 100,000 cattle died in a snowstorm. I've covered this very extensively, and I, and I copied the maps down before they were taken offline because it was so shockingly absurd. 100,000 cattle died in a snowstorm on October 4th, 2013, snow falling at far above freezing temperatures, about 40 degrees, as it's shown on the weather maps we recorded. At the same exact time that these cattle died, it was 85 degrees and raining in Chicago. It was 89 degrees and raining in Kansas City. How in the world could 100,000 cold-hardy cattle die in a snowstorm on October 4th? And, and days later, they were all laying around in the mud. And again, back to the people, the population and their apathy, which is unfortunate, and I hope that changes. But we reached the Cattlemen's Association there, and they didn't want to hear anything we had to present, nothing. Nothing. They, they, they have certain subsidies and certain government programs and so forth, and they didn't want to know anything about any of it. Uh, had other circumstances. We had alpacas in South America, 250,000 at a shot, same kind of circumstances, a chemically nucleated snowstorm. And, and, and we know, let, let's, let me give an example on this. If your listeners search Chinese scientists create artificial snowstorm, they'll see that Fox News and Popular Science even covered that. This is not some fringe speculative theory. This is hard science fact. So they are literally engineering winter. That's why we have the massive weather whiplash scenarios from record high literally to record cold sometimes in a day. So this recent snowstorm that went up the East Coast and stranded a bunch of people and killed some, I guess, was part of an artificial event. Absolutely, positively. Let's look at a little, a few facts around okay, that. Hang, 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 let me ask you the last sure. question. Why? What's the what's the goal? What's the purpose? You know, you know that old joke about you know you don't uh, tug on Superman's cape and spit into the wind. Are we dealing with mass psychosis where all these people don't realize when you tamper with a planetary climate, the uh, the law of unintended consequences, you know, cubed or quadrupled is right in front of you that you cannot control a system that big and diverse and that sprawling with what, what they're currently using? Certainly your rational line of thought is inarguable. Of course, you're correct. But one, and let me, let me back into this and I'll give a couple of examples about the storm that you asked. So let me first back into the psychology of those 
who are really pulling the strings, and ultimately that's those who control the central bankers. That's who controls it all. So we know from psychoanalysis that those in those positions have various forms of of psychosis, and the common thread is this, and this is straight from the psychoanalysis manuals, that there's a near lack of comprehension as to the consequences of their actions, even to themselves. Does a drug addict care that they are going to kill themselves if they continue? It's worse with a power addict. It's worse. They, they literally are psychologically incapable in so many cases, if not all, of understanding that they will kill themselves. That's their blind spot, along with the rest of us. The and their children. Power. It's like, do they have some other place to go to live? I mean, it's, and that's almost no, not a rhetorical question because they act as if they have an escape hatch and the rest of us can go hang because they have their, their, their uh, you know, golden parachute. But there's more to the story, though, because, again, back to the why question. Industrialized, militarized society is killing the planet. That's the mathematical fact of the matter. And again, I, I am not in any political party. My, I have unimaginable disdain for the environmental groups that are across the board that are being unimaginably hypocritical by ignoring this issue. And they're receiving funding, by the way. Let's look at 350.org and Bill McKibben, funding from the Rockefeller Foundation. Let's look at Amy Goodman. I'm sure you know who she is. I've mm -hmm. met Amy twice. Mm -hmm. Receives receives funding from the Ford Foundation, and Amy is quite smug about her position that, quote, uh, at least she's telling most of the truth. And my response to Amy would be this. There's not most of the truth. There's either the whole truth or there's something other than the truth. The boat doesn't float if it's mostly watertight. It has to be watertight. <laughs> no. You have to tell the whole truth. So those in power, again, are, are dealing with this scenario. All forms of human activity, all forms that affect the energy balance of the planet, are a form of geoengineering. Industrialized, militarized society is a form of geoengineering. We're cutting down the forest. We're paving the planet. We're poisoning the oceans. We're putting 100 million tons of CO2 in the atmosphere a day. That's a form of geoengineering. So this is exactly how the military-industrial complex looks at it. They look at it as a risk-to-risk -risk scenario, the risk of doing it versus the risk of not doing it. So much like the pharmaceutical industrial approach to the human body, instead of getting to the core of the problem, let's just cover the symptom, even if that kills the host eventually. And, and what does a cancer do? Speaking of that subject, and this is, this is something people need to hear because they always ask, why would they do this to themselves? Important to understand everything I just said. We are headed over the cliff on the current course with industrialized, militarized society and our lack of willingness to give back to nature. Case of of how they perceive this issue, again, in order to keep business as usual, in order to hang on to their power as long as possible, just like a cancer, does a cancer intend to kill the host? No. But a cancer intends to proliferate without any, comp any consideration that the host will die. And that's the mentality at this moment in time with those at the very top. There's no question. And, and, and let me give that one example back of the, to confirm the engineered nature of Winter Storm Avery. Last week, it was snowing in Louisiana with moisture that just came directly off the record warm Gulf of Mexico at the same time in Alaska, near the Arctic Circle, in Eagle Lake, I believe. 45 degrees at midnight. Mm. Why don't we hear about this? Because those in power don't want us to hear about this. We'll get the Weather Channel paid disinformation people ranting and raving. All they talk about is the winter storm, they don't talk about, hey, California is still frying, literally incinerating to the ground, that all over the world we have 
uh, extremely warm temperatures, especially at night. And this is critical. It's another area we can go into when you wish. Nighttime low temperatures are rising twice as fast as daytime highs. Why? Because the heat is not escaping. Why not? Part of that is climate engineering. They can deflect the sun during the day, lower some daytime high temperatures, but then that traps the heat at night. And two, and this is most important, our atmosphere is filling with methane. And we're not talking about livestock in this case, although that is a source of methane, it is a small source compared to the methane hydrates and methane clathrates. I was just going to say clathrates are melting in, in the Siberian tundra. Exactly. And anybody who wants to see how severe that is, and I would encourage your listeners to search this. Well, there's a whole search. bunch of holes that have opened up in Siberia. Yes. That's exactly where I was going. Search Siberian methane craters. It is shocking. It looks like a massive battle zone from the explosions of methane literally blowing out of the tundra and going into the atmosphere. And this is something else that academia in their betrayal of the human race and the entire web of life are not disclosing. They claim methane is 20 times more potent than CO2 as a greenhouse gas. That's true over a 100-year time horizon. We don't have 100 years. I would argue in the current course, based on all frontline data, we don't have 10 years. So over a 10-year time horizon, methane is 100 to 120 times more potent than CO2. And our atmosphere is filling with methane right now, covering the planet like a layer of glass. And it feeds on itself, and that's what's most important. This is a nonlinear equation because once the feedback loops are triggered, they feed on themselves. There may be as many as 50 in process right now. And geoengineering, in the effort to hide that from the population to the last possible moment, is actually further fueling the fire. You know, I, I, I understand the big picture. What I don't understand is a lot of very bright people are enmeshed in this system. Nobody is the canary in the mine. Nobody says, we got to change. Nobody of stature, politically, technically, NASA, whatever, is really blowing the whistle, and they all live here. That's what I don't get. It's not like they don't think in terms of 10, 20, 30-year time horizons – because a lot of these people, that's their profession, to think long range. But nobody's doing anything, and what's the hole? Because they're waiting for someone else to go first? Well, first let's consider this. Um, we don't know who may have tried to step forward. At geoengineeringwatch.org, we've had several contacts from people that we believe had much to share. And before we could get them connected to our attorneys, one of whom is with a whistleblowing firm on the East Coast, their contact completely disappeared. A, a former CIA contact of ours friend that in one case confirmed this individual was who they said they were, former Navy tailhook pilot who had much to share, and we have not been able to reach that person since. We've had academicians reach us from major universities that are bought, sold, and paid for from corporations like Monsanto. One at a major university, double PhD, the, the lab uh, professor or the manager, the last communication we had from her, she was taken into a room and told, if you continue to address geoengineering, there'll be consequences. We have letters in our possession. Our attorneys have the letters from a top biologist in California that's the head of the research team for the Delta smelt, the major environmental issue here with an endangered species, who was had discovered aluminum nanoparticulates adhered to the gills of the smelt, and he could not disclose this without being um, completely drugged through the coals, if you will. 
We know who he is. We may subpoena at some point, but everyone is shut down. Look, look at mainstream interviews. I, I've had interview requests from BBC, New York Times, USA Today. Uh, in the case of National Geographic, I had, I had three hours of conversations with a National Geographic reporter who knew this was going on and was going to try to weave it into a tree mortality article every single time shut down. Every fire that begins to burn is stomped out. Lots of ways of doing this, given the, the ability to monitor at this point. But um, it's, it's tragic that with the amount of academicians, and I, sh I share your angst, that there's not legions of them sounding the alarm, but everybody's waiting for somebody else. Well, you, you know that old uh, Ben Franklin cliche, right? Gentlemen, you know about the Constitution. <clears throat> if we don't do all this together, we will all hang you know, if, if, let me paraphrase it correctly. If we don't all hang together, we're going to hang separately. You'd think in an era of social media where we can, you know, flash mob thousands of people in half an hour, that the, those people that know what's going on would simply get together with other people that know what's going on, hold something at the National Press con con Club. I've done that two or three times. Either, you know, do a special on a network, you know, go to the New York Times en masse, something. Just sitting waiting for the planet to, to become a cinder doesn't appear to be very smart on the part of a lot of very smart people. I fully agree. We have given that exact counsel to some we are working with, a former Senate Armed Services Committee member, whom we are also supplying data to. Whom, he is distributing that data behind the scenes. We have been contacted by internationally recognized individuals from the entertainment industry. We know what happens when they step up independently. We saw what happened to Kylie Jenner and, and Prince who, who referenced this issue and uh, they were publicly crucified immediately. Um, that's what happens to anybody who, would, who addresses this. In the case of our ability to get the word out on social media, let's look at one example of that censorship. Geoengineeringwatch.org, our website, the largest website in the world on this subject, non-political. We're approaching 32 million visitors. That's a lot. And because of the site traffic, our rankings should and did put us at the top of the, of the search of a search for the term geoengineering. If you search the geoengineering term, we were top of the list, including on Google. Now we are gone. As of the last month, we are gone from 19 pages on the subject, from top of the list to gone. Below our YouTubes now, Google or YouTube, which is one and the same, put they put a disinformation banner of Contrail, a Encyclopedia Britannica disinformation definition, and 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 I'll explain the Contrail situation in a minute because that's the biggest lie ever perpetrated on populations all over the globe. This is not condensation we are seeing in our skies. It's particularly dispersion. But they put this on our YouTubes. They delete us from their page. And if you go to Bing or DuckDuckGo or other pages, we're still the top of the search of the term geoengineering. So this is blatant censorship at this point. We know our email list, our subscribers, don't get our posts. They don't get them now. So they have many ways of ghost banning information from getting it out. And they are using those methods uh, absolutely right now. But back to, again, if we look at academia. Oh, wait, before we leave this subject, we just have 120 some new members, most of them women elected to Congress. 
And a lot of them are young Turks, people that want to make a name that have grown up with environment on their lips every single day. They're looking outside the box. They, they want to do things differently. If, if we could get, you could get hearings in the House on this subject, I have a feeling that things could change really quickly because everybody now realizes the government lies. Well, again, with this issue, they'll, they'll, they will only be able to hide it so long. We, we don't face global warming. We face something far worse. We are already in the throes of an abrupt climate collapse. That's what we face. There will be no hiding this for much longer. That's a fact. I would argue if we can disclose this issue and populations all over the globe understand that they have been exposed to a grand and lethal experiment without their knowledge or consent, it will overturn the current paradigm, completely overturn it, because the liability issue is completely incalculable. There is no one on the planet that hasn't been hurt by this issue. So uh, if, we, if we look at – and back to the condensation issue again so your listeners understand. This is not condensation we see in our skies. We know that. We have film footage of it being turned on and off. We know that atmospheric relative humidity is declining. It's, it's always been extremely low. The higher you go, the lower it gets. We're talking about humidities that are less than 1% in many cases, and it's dropping further. Why is it dropping? Because the atmosphere is being filled with desiccant particles. It absorbs what little moisture is there. The temperatures are rising not declining, so you have less humidity, you have higher temperatures, and you have more of what we're told is condensation, it's an absolute lie, and this is most critical what I'm about to say. All commercial aircraft, all military tankers are outfitted with a high-bypass turbofan jet engine. That jet engine is a jet-powered fan. 85 to 90% of the air that passes through that engine is non-combusted. That engine, there's a full tutorial on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. That engine, by design, is nearly incapable of producing any condensation trail, except under the rarest and most extreme circumstances. This is not condensation. And that's what brought me to this issue. When I was losing 60, 70, 80% of my solar power uptake from whatever these aircraft were emitting, not a natural cloud in the sky, that absolutely positively is not condensation. So it creates a situation called global dimming. That's a science term. Encourage your listeners to search that term. Very good BBC documentary about it that couldn't or wouldn't and didn't admit to the climate engineering operations, but uh, global dimming in many parts of the world, Richard, is now 20 to 30 percent. That means 20 to 30 percent of the sun's direct rays no longer reach the surface. They're being deflected by these mm. particles, and, and we have pollution as well. We're not, not denying pollution. And hang, hang current, on, hang on. And despite that, I have listeners who send me emails all the time. There's a contact button over on the left on the homepage if you want to respond to this show and any others who are telling me that uh, subjectively they think the sun appears to them to have gotten much brighter and not yellow anymore, but blinding white. And I'm trying to reconcile those two inputs, which are very contradictory, what you just said and what listeners are reporting just subjectively. Not necessarily, because again, you have a light refraction that creates that, that blinding white appearance. There's nothing different about the sun, but that light refraction can do exactly that. It can create a lens effect in certain ways. So even though the direct sunlight is not um, what it was, you still have what can be a lens effect from those particles. So that there, this is not a contradiction, in fact. And if we look at, if we look at the hang on, I, hang I wanna, on, we're at yeah. the top of the hour. Oh sure. Sorry I almost missed our break. Well, you're too damn interesting, Dane. <laughs> <laughs> you're on the other side of midnight. 
My name is Richard C. Hoagland. My guest, Dane Wigington. And we're grappling with something extremely important tonight. We shall return. the side of midnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership cost $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. back on the other side of midnight for this Saturday night, November 17th. The end of the year is rapidly approaching. And here in New Mexico, in the land of enchantment, the temperatures are in the upper 50s, low 60s. Right now, outside, let me take a look. It's about 37 degrees outside right now because we have clear skies and uh, it's radiational cooling But, Dane, that's not the normal situation, you say, for much of the planet. And, again, I'm wondering why, you know, not just government or academia, but why an awful lot of people are not noticing, and they're all connected with social media. You'd think like – this is a horrible, uh, you know, metaphor – but you'd think like a firestorm, this kind of information, this observational information with people on all over the planet able to share instantly – what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, you'd think it would overcome officialdom and reality would set in beyond what authority figures are are, are telling them. Or am I incredibly naive about people being self-motivated to go against an authority telling them everything's fine? How about now? Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. I'm muting always helps. I, I apologize. <laughs> Let's, I, I heard everything you said, of course, and in regard to what you stated and people's complacency, I would argue the Millman experiments were very revealing in that regard for your listeners. I know you know what that is, but your listeners that don't, it's the propensity of individuals to do even what they know to be immoral acts if someone in authority – tells them or someone they perceive to be an authority tells them to do so then we have normalcy bias to to deal with on top of that and and Richard I know you know what that is as well but for people to understand that for so many so long as they can buy a Big Mac and Walmart's open what could be wrong in the world the cell phone still works there has been an immense effort to to spawn and and 
perpetuate the normalcy bias. So it's profound. Let's look at figures that we have right now. The species extinction rate today is 15,000 times the background rate. We've lost 60% of Earth's wildlife populations in the last 40 years on the current mathematical trajectory. I want to put this in perspective, and I, I know this is shocking information, but I want to put it in perspective just how dire and immediate our situation is. And that, that shines a light on how complacent uh, our whole society is. On the current mathematical trajectory of species loss, we will hit zero hour about 2026. No wildlife left. Zero. The species extinction rate right now is a million and a half percent of normal, 15,000 times the background rate. Why isn't that headlines everywhere? What are we seeing? A political theater, political idiocy. And I'm not, I don't care what political party people are in. And I, you know, I, I know you said something similar and I completely agree with you. I, this is not about that kind of politics. That's simply a distraction to keep the population occupied. And I would argue this is an important factor to keep them distracted until the last possible moment so they don't panic before the power structure is ready to deal with that. Because we are headed for the wall at full velocity. And I don't want, I'm not asking anybody to believe anything I'm stating, not about species extinction, not about ozone hole collapse, another subject that the NASA contract engineer that has worked with us with equipment we supplied calculates total ozone collapse on the current trajectory about 2025, game over. If we do not change courses completely and immediately, this is not a bump in the road. This is literally the end of, of certainly our species and on the current, on the current course, uh, perhaps the entire web of life on this planet. We're on track for what's called Venus syndrome and that's not a metaphor. So I'm trying, I'm trying. I can't take the long way around the block on this, this issue anymore. People, people have to be awakened and, and time is not on our side. Um, by the way, everyone refresh your page. If you go to the other side of midnight.com, you click on tonight's banner for Saturday, this is November 17th. Dane Wigington, my guest, that will take you to his guest page. We have loaded some new items. Kinthea's got massive craters from methane explosions discovered in the Arctic Ocean where ice is melted. She has some other images from um, Siberia there. Uh, we'll be adding to, uh, she's also got global dimming. You know, she's really on top of it. I have one hell of a producer. So all of this is there for you to read at your leisure. Uh, I would focus on the show right now because you can go back and read. And, of course, if you're a member of Club 19.5, you can read it and listen as many times as you need to. Um, Dane, if, if, if the fix is in, how come they are even allowing you to operate this research? How come you even have a website? How come you're still at the top of Bing and a few others in other words, why isn't the blanket of secrecy complete and ultimate and, shall we say, termination with extreme prejudice exercised in the case of anybody trying to raise their hand and say, hey, folks, take a look? I can't answer that except to say this. I have never, ever given my oath to the power structure in any way, shape, or form. Is there some sort of protocol? I don't know. I hope that there is. Because I have never, ever given that oath. Therefore, I've never broken such an oath. I left Bechtel Power at a very young age because I didn't want to become what I saw. I've never worked for anyone since. And I, I can't answer again, is there some protocol? Those involved in any way, shape, or form with the system, whether it's material suppliers in this particular case or any aspect of the system, 
sign confidentiality agreements that carry grave consequences. And that has never been the case with me. The only thing I have had happen on the way home from a large presentation some years ago at 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night, on the way home, on my cell phone, got a call from a federal EPA employee that wanted to know why I was still beating this drum. And I made clear I would never stop. And I haven't had anything like that happen since. I've had other small incidents, for example, our commercial DVDs in a plastic jewel case, you know, the big commercial DVDs like you buy in the store, mm -hmm. a pallet of 2,000 of those for an event. We give our materials away at those events, by the way. We're not in this for any commercial purpose. We're simply desperate to sound the alarm. But a pallet, five foot by five foot by five foot, that weighed 500 pounds, didn't show up. We called UPS, and their first statement was it's been redirected. And when I, of course, was alarmed and asked about that, almost immediately said, just send us a bill. You aren't gonna, you're not going to even look for it. The DVD company is the one who had to pay that bill. They have never, with millions and millions of DVDs shipped, they have never had such an occurrence happen. Hmm. So there's been some blowback. But I am told by some we know on the other side of the fence, so to speak, that the allies we have behind the curtain are growing rapidly because there are people who have told – have been told, and, th and this is important for your listeners to understand, the vast majority of people involved with these programs that know about them are being told this is something benevolent for the greater good, just like the nuclear detonations were for the greater good, just like nuclear powers for the greater good. Fukushima by itself could be a, a global extinction event, no technology to fix it, no end in sight, and we're building more nuke plants right now. So the people involved certainly, certainly are told this is for the greater good. Couldn't be further from the truth. Well, let me interrupt there because you say Fukushima could be an extinction event and there's no technology. The problem is, Dane, there is technology. It's just been suppressed. There's a whole range of technologies, alternatives to what we're forced to use because of the marketing you know, techniques and basically our economic system. But there's all kinds of ways to remediate nuclear physics in ways that no mainstream nuclear physicist would ever have heard of because it's simply not taught. At MIT or at Harvard or you know Caltech or wherever, these technologies have been deeply, deeply suppressed and only used by the intelligence agencies worldwide, the KGB, the CIA, the NSC, whatever. But they're not part of the mainstream civilian economy. So for when you tell most people we can do things that would look like magic, they think you're talking about magic and not real physics. We are on ground where you are certainly more familiar than I, and I will grant that that may in fact be the case with trying to deal with some of the cleanup. I, I would still, even with that consideration, the fact that we have three core meltdowns and certainly the ramifications from nuclear power don't make rational sense to, to going down that entire road. And by the way, back to the ozone layer, you had nuclear physicists in the 40s and 50s stating if we went down the nuclear path between detonations and contamination from nuclear power plants, that by itself would be a death sentence because it destroys the atmosphere along with contaminating the entire planet. And again, this is not to negate the type of technologies you mentioned, which I will freely admit I am that is not my area of expertise or study. So I, I concede that there may be factors that could help with that. But even if we had some way of 
somehow dealing with that with Fukushima, when we look at the amount of plants there are, and let me weave geoengineering into this equation if I may, the damage geoengineering has done to the atmosphere is so severe, and there are other sources of damage too. I, I want to state that. I'm not blaming everything on climate engineering. I recognize all forms of anthropogenic activity and damage, but climate engineering being mathematically the biggest. The damage is so severe, if we have a Carrington-type event now, a massive solar flare, a CME, we'll have nuke plants shut down all over the planet. If they can't cool themselves, they also will go into meltdown. It's a matter of time. So uh, e even with the nuclear situation, climate engineering is, in fact, uh, connected. So um, I, I think if we consider how many uh, – activities or, or uh, gosh, I, the, the word for this would be how, how much human endeavor has pushed us toward this mathematically certain near-term omnicide, it's, it's quite shocking. And it, it's, not, it's not just those in power that are clinically insane. It's a population that so far, I, I'm sorry to say, and this is after 15 years of being in this trench, very few are willing so far, and I hope this changes. I, I want to state that. But needs to change, change soon because so far very few have been willing to even investigate the truth, let alone to acknowledge that they have a responsibility to do their part for the greater good. Well, all right. This is a problem with so many levels and so many fronts. Let's, let's try to go back and talk about why this began. You say that in the 40s, that it was noticed that the global temperatures were rising at unprecedented rates. And are you connecting that to basically global industrialization? Or, like I tend to think, was this really part of a much bigger planetary solar cycle based in physics, and all the efforts have been stopgap to prevent that because they, being the powers that be, had no technology to remediate, which was basically a fundamental astrophysical situation. Well, let's examine that question if we can. If we look at, for example, the the Maunder minimum on the – you've heard many claim there's a coming ice age. You've heard that narrative probably, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. So let's examine that particular narrative. Even the Maunder minimum, the diminishment of solar radiance – was 0.025%, one four hundredth reduction. It is virtually meaningless against the backdrop of anthropogenic activity. Mathematically speaking, statistically, this has been calculated, and this information is available online. We have it posted at geoengineeringwatch.org as well. The statistical odds of the current changes on our planet not being anthropogenic, not being human-caused, is a statistical Zero. So whatever's happening cosmologically during this unimaginably small geologic span of time in which human activity with a very known cause and effect, a very known and documented cause and effect, mathematically speaking, statistics say it must be the primary causal factor. That whatever else is happening, the impacts from putting 20 million years of hydrocarbon into the atmosphere, again, in 200 years, decimating the forests, poisoning the oceans, paving the planet. If we don't look at that and acknowledge it, it's like 
it, it's like putting a gun to someone's head, pulling the trigger, and claiming they died of a heart attack. And we, we, can't, we can't make that argument. So again, whatever's happening cosmologically, statistically speaking, and the changes right now are happening. This is important. I speak in terms of statistics, verifiable facts that can be ver researched and acknowledged by anyone who cares to take the time. The changes occurring currently are happening 170 times minimum faster than any previous paleo event on our on our planet 170 times conservatively minimum and there's simply nothing in the geologic record that even remotely comes close to what's happening now so i wish that it wasn't us the human race that have not just shot ourselves in the foot but in the head but in fact um again based on all available data we, we can't make that argument Okay, so let's get back to this list of things that are happening that people are not aware of. And you're obviously more aware of it than I am. So where would you like to begin? We obviously are seeing forests all over the planet. We're seeing fires. We're seeing temperature extremes. We're seeing you know, months and months more of summer when it should not be occurring that way. Where would you like to begin on tabulating the things that we're not paying attention to that we should be? Well, let's, if I could, to, to dovetail on what we just discussed, let's look at the tree die-off globally. Since the dawn of civilization, we've lost 3.4 trillion trees. That's 55% of Earth's original tree cover. The remaining 45% is dead and dying. In fact, that 45% is not functioning as it has historically. Trees are not breathing. They're not respirating. Their stomata is shutting because of the intense conditions I mentioned earlier. Forests don't smell like forests anymore in countless locations, Northern California included, because the trees are not respirating. They're not breathing. They're not feeding. Root systems are not working. They're dying below the ground, the same as they're dying above the ground. So if we look at factors that people don't consider or understand, no trees, no people. That's very simple. So we are, our forests are virtually collapsing all over the globe. Let's look at plankton, single largest source of oxygen on the planet. 60% decline, minimum, 60%. The oceans are converting to what's termed Canfield Ocean, lifeless, stratified, superheated, dead oceans. Oceans die, we die. Trees die, we die. Plankton dies, we die. Ozone layer collapses, we die. All of it's happening at once. Now, I want to stress this because many people think, oh, you know, why try? Why bother? First, I would say this, to, to do the right thing is the right thing to do, period, no matter what. No matter how ominous the odds look, we, we have a responsibility to do the right thing. And Richard, you know this, if, if nature is given any chance at all, if the natural systems are given any chance at all, nature finds a way. And, and how often do we see the photograph of the tiniest crack in the concrete or asphalt and a blade of grass is growing through it? Something's found a way to survive. And, and, and again, in regard to the planet, in regard to geoengineering, it has completely hampered the planet's life support responses. And, and if I could give one example on that first, and then I'll, I'll toss this back to you. But we have previous eras in Earth's history, like the, the Pliocene epoch, uh, 5.2 million years ago, when the carbon count, the CO2 count, was higher than today, considerably higher, about 25% higher. Did we have a dead, drying, incinerating Western North American continent? No. It was lush. Because there was more rain, which the laws of physics say we must have on a warming planet, 7% more moisture for every degree C of warming. 
although that's not happening now because of climate engineering. And we had carbon-laden rain. We didn't have the toxins in the rain, so the forests responded. They thrive. They begin to uptake that carbon. They cannot do that now because of climate engineering. I'm giving just one example, the plankton. The destroying of the ozone layer is slaughtering plankton. There are many sources of damage to plankton, but the ozone destruction is the single greatest cause. Why? Because the plankton, because they photosynthesize, they must feed in the upper layers of the water, and then the UV kills them. From every conceivable direction, climate engineering is sucking the noose around our collective necks from every conceivable direction. And again, I want to state this. It's not just to hide the symptoms of what's unfolding on the climate while actually fueling the overall fire. It's also weather warfare. I can go into that uh, whenever you feel uh, that's Yeah, but why don't we talk about that? <clears throat> because again, if these technologies were out there and being used by opposing systems, how come there's not more leakage? How come there's not more people claiming that droughts or rain, monsoons or whatever are, are basically caused by man-made activities, whereas everyone you talk to as an authority says, oh, we can never do that. The energies are too big, not thinking of triggering and stuff like that. There's just no way that humans could control the climate, the weather, etc. And you're saying that it's actively now being used in warfare. First of all, who's using it? And what do they think they can achieve? Because you can't keep a rainstorm kind of over one place. It, it'll move. Uh, you can completely disband that rainstorm if you choose. You can seed that moisture and make it come down at a lot, a much increased rate if you choose. Let's look at Project Popeye in Vietnam. That was fully acknowledged the effect that that had. In fact, so much so that in 1976, the UN banned, uh, not that anybody pays attention to it, but they banned weather warfare. Now, if, if we look at the, mal the, the effect of aerosols in the climate, for example, we have Mount Pinatubo in 1992. That single eruption mm -hmm. caused 92 to be by 50% the lowest global rainfall year ever recorded. By 50%, one volcanic eruption. There is a, the climate is far more malleable. And people look at studies, for example, have you ever seen people claim or, or refer to the quote 30,000 scientists that say anthropogenic warming isn't real. Have you ever people heard them reference that? Well, I've heard it casually. I don't believe it, but I've heard it. You're correct. The study's a total fraud. It's a total sham. But people see that, and they don't research it. They don't investigate the fact that that entire study and the, and the, and the articles around it were nothing but propaganda. And, and so they buy into that. So again, the notion that the, the changes that are happening on our planet right now, again, 170 times faster than any previous paleo event, and that includes events like the, the Petum event, Paleocene, Eocene thermal maximum 55 million years ago, methane mass extinction, 90% uh, aquatic extinction, 70% extinction, terrestrial. What's happening now is happening exponentially faster, 170 times faster than that event, and the statistical odds of such an event as that is happening now being not directly connected to anthropogenic activities, a statistical zero. We have, to, we have to look at those factors. And again, I'm not saying that there are, are no cosmological factors like the solar minimum. I'm saying that those factors are being completely overwhelmed by the much larger, the anthropogenic end of the scale. And I, I stress for your listeners again, I'm, my, my problems with Al Gore, for example, was his data wrong? Yes. 
Al Gore's data was definitely wrong, but in the opposite direction of what people would choose to believe. It is exponentially worse than any, anything Mr. Gore tried to state or reveal. And for Mr. Gore, why did he own company or he owned stock in the very companies he claimed to be against? There's a lot of issues with Mr. Gore that he, he played exactly the part they wanted him to play to make otherwise intelligent people hate him so much that they refuse to believe anything he said. And that's a problem. So he kind of played the role in the environmental uh, climate change conversation that Einstein played inadvertently in the whole relativity secret physics conversation. Yes. Yes. So again, uh, I, and I've, I've gotten down to that with, with uh, many very educated individuals that ultimately their reason for choosing to believe that there was no real anthropogenic damage to the planet or the climate was because they had such great disdain for Mr. Gore. Therefore, um, they refused to accept anything he had stated. And that is exactly, I would argue, exactly the role the power structure wanted him for. And very similar to Sagan. People say off and on again to me all the time, well, if you were right, if there's stuff out there, if there's other evidence of habitations in the solar system, Carl Sagan would have known because he really wanted to know, not acknowledging that maybe Carl was set up to be another, uh, what, what would we call that, stalking horse to lead people in the wrong direction because he basically got bought. The theater is very, very elaborate and very thought out and very effective. And thus back to some of what you correctly mentioned before it, it, how perplexing it is that we could be going um uh, the, the proverbial example is we're collectively in a car that has just crashed through the guardrails we're flying through the air toward the bottom of the canyon and the occupants are arguing over which station to put the radio on wow and that's where we're at wow you were talking about methane a moment ago and the buildup because of the clathrate uh, um, sublimation going on in among other places siberia there are a couple of projects, Lucy and Alamo, that were designed, I guess, to, to degrade this buildup. Are they, are they deployed? Are they funded? Are they active? Are they out there? And if so, what would we be looking for to, to see if this was true? Not officially. Project Lucy and Alamo are, so your listeners understand, the, the various layers of insanity we're dealing with. So we're back. Let, let me use the pharmaceutical industrial cure for the human body when we see a commercial take this for that and here's 20 other side effects so now you have to take this and this and this and it just goes on and on forever same with climate engineering so the climate engineering has destroyed the ozone layer it's releasing methane now a new layer of insanity is heaped on top of the first layer project lucy and alamo acronyms for programs to use microwave ground-based microwave transmissions with opposing frequencies to try to molecularly degrade the buildup of methane in the atmosphere, again, with no consideration as to the consequences of what that will do. We see the RF signatures in the atmosphere and countless satellite imagery. We believe that that is absolutely already going on because those in power know, they know that on the current course, no one gets out alive in the near term. No one. That's a mathematical certainty on the current course. So they, in their manner of thought, believe again we're back to the risk to risk scenario because for them stopping business as usual is not an option then they must therefore in their mind 
engage in some other direction, which is to try to continue various layers of unimaginably dangerous experimentation in the attempt to try to keep business as usual even a little bit longer at the cost, ultimate cost of killing everything. So yes, this is, this, these programs, Lucy and Alamo, believe, uh, appear to be deployed already to try to degrade, degrade the methane in the atmosphere, which again is building up very rapidly. We've seen for the last million years plus the, the methane count in the atmosphere at higher levels, not more than 700 ppb parts per billion, unlike CO2 that's measured in ppm parts per million. But methane is much more powerful Therefore, the smaller amount still does exponentially more harm. Now we're seeing methane recently, methane readings of over 3,000 ppb. This is over four times higher than it's been for the last million years. So we are truly, Richard, we are truly in completely uncharted territory, and the rate of change is as nonlinear as can possibly be imagined. Hmm. I'm wondering why they would think that microwaves would work on methane when actually it's ultraviolet that, that sunders the molecule. Well, I think that would be a big academic conversation with those who do what they do. Why do they uh, do many other things that don't make rational sense? So there's, there's an argument that they would make there. Solar radiation management itself, again, SRM, the saturating of the atmosphere with light scattering particles that the the known and expected list of consequences would make any rational person refrain from such activities but they have not refrained and if we look again if we go to the weather warfare example as well you richard you probably saw recently that the head of the iranian uh head iranian military official stated that nato was blocking their precipitation actually i missed that one uh, your listeners can find that. It's not the first time. Former president of Iran on the floor of the UN going back six years stating the same, that their precipitation was being cut off. So let's back up even further. If we look at immediately after 9-11, General Wesley Clark went public to state that one week after 9-11, he was given the list of Middle Eastern countries that were going to be taken down. And that was the purpose of 9-11, to galvanize the U.S. population into supporting military uh, empirical adventures in the Middle East. Every one of those countries that's been toppled, destabilized and toppled, has undergone a once in 1,000 year drought, which destabilized those nations. Is that a coincidence mathematically? No, mm. it's mathematically impossible. And cutting off precipitation is very, very easy for them to do. And let's, let's back all the way up to the fires in California and the drought here. We have satellite imagery, some of which you have posted, that show what's happening off the North American coast over the Eastern Pacific. Massive grid pattern spraying operations every single day. I know we're at the bottom of the hour. I can hold this until we get back. If you, if you yeah, can. why don't we do that? Okay, because I yep. did miss the break there. And see, you're too damn interesting. This is too important. You're on the other side of midnight, everyone. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. My guest tonight is Dane Wigington. And I know he's painting a very, very long, very dark tunnel. There is light at the end, so don't go away. We shall return.
InsidersMidnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com. back on this Saturday night, November 17th, to the other side of midnight, my guest this morning, Dane Wigington, and we're talking about the fate of the planet. And you know, Dane, unlike a lot of people, you're not talking, you know, in our lifetime, in the next 10, 15, 20 years, you're talking like 20, 24, 25 for some cutoffs to some crucial markers here. Um, Let's talk about um, let's talk about human diseases. You you actually have connected certain epidemics and certain pandemics with this geoclimate engineering situation. How does that link up? There we go. There should be back first. Yep. Uh, I want to say as I, I apologize that what I was going to say right before uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you for the break, but what I want to say. Richard is the, the host makes the show truly. And I'm not, um, it, it's a great honor and a great pleasure to be here with you and your, uh, vast, uh, experience and knowledge is, is what really, you know, helps the right data to come out. So that being said, if I could, if I could back up to, to finishing one blank before the show, yeah, by all means. The, the ability of the climate engineers to cut off precipitation is profound and inarguable. This is scientifically documented, documented with countless institutions on this subject. When you saturate the atmosphere with too many particulates, there's too many condensation nuclei. The droplets cannot combine and fall as rain, so they can literally migrate storms across one region with little or nothing falling out and seeding larger particulates in another region or allowing the, the previously seeded particulates to fall out can cause the precipitation then to come down. So when we see what we see off the North American West Coast, massive grid pattern blanket aerosol spraying every single day. Storms cannot form and they are not forming. We can speculate as to all the reasons why, and we know some of the reasons why there's the ridiculous resilient ridge. That's that's a result of ionosphere heaters. You mentioned HARP earlier. HARP is one of perhaps a hundred such ground-based facilities around the globe. And there are other types of facilities, SBX radar, C sea-based X-band radar, but they can heat the ionosphere, create a descending air mass, high-pressure dome, rotates clockwise in the northern hemisphere, 
that spins like a pulley in a car. People picture the, the jet stream going around pulleys like they see a fan belt on a car, some rotating clockwise, some counterclockwise. That's how they can direct the jet stream, and they are. So they're pushing this moisture up and over California. They begin chemically nucleating it, cooling it down so it's still warm in Alaska, as I just described. And as that moisture swings back down to, to the eastern U.S., now they have an engineered cool down. And that's one of the reasons. So California at minimum would be considered a climate sacrifice zone. But the fact that they are cutting off our precipitation is absolutely positively inarguable. We have the satellite imagery to prove it. In so should we be looking at these maps, uh, 10 and 10B, on your site on, on uh, in Radio with Pictures? Um, we have North America a, with cold and large areas, and there's sharp demarcations. You call it a freeze-fry situation. Okay, yes. Those are NOAA departure from normal temperature maps, and we see that now all the time. Meteorologically speaking, it's unprecedented. And we'll see that pendulum swing back and forth, the weather whiplash scenarios. They, they do not have the capability to consistently cool, for example, the entire lower 48. So the pendulum swings back and forth from often record highs to record lows, back to record highs. And keep in mind, those cooler temperatures are not indicative of the entire climactic situation. And for those that live in the eastern half of the US and think because it's cool there, it must be cool everywhere, not the case. Again, eastern half of the lower 48 is 0.05%. It's one half of 1%. It's one two hundredth of the Earth's surface area. That is not indicative of the entire planet. And we are speaking to aircraft pilots, in this case, Gulfstream pilots that fly some very important, I don't want to say important, I should say well-known political individuals that we have communicated with because they were alarmed. They contacted us. Their Gulfstream jets from over 40,000 feet Alarms went off. They were forced into descents, autopilot descents, because the air was 35 degrees plus warmer than it should be. Wow. The air was not, was not dense enough to carry the aircraft. So again, we are so far into the curve, and these surface anomalous cooldowns are not indicative of the entire planetary situation by, by any stretch. And, and I want to stress this as well in the time frames. It's with the species wildlife die-off, ozone collapse, Canfield Ocean, if there's a particular zero hour uh, on the current trajectory time frame on that, that doesn't mean things stay normal till then. does not mean that. The power structure, I would argue, who knows, those at the top know exactly how bad it is and are doing everything to hide it. The bigger and more immediate issue is what cards unimaginably desperate power structure play? What cards will they play? And that's, that's what we cannot know. And something like that could happen tomorrow. And as far as academicians that have been threatened, let me add one name to that list. Do you know who Dr. Guy McPherson is, Richard? You ever heard that name? No. Uh, I, know, I know Mr. McPherson. He's a professor emeritus of uh, UC Arizona. He's internationally known. His time frames, he's a climate scientist. His time frames are very similar to mine. That's what the data dictates. What Mr. McPherson will not admit to, and this gets back to why isn't academia discussing, we can pull that blank from earlier. At one time, Guy McPherson even allowed me to draft a research article for his website called Nature Bats Last. After that article went up, he got extreme blowback and then suddenly began to deny climate engineering very emphatically. 
I absolutely believe he was threatened. He will not he will not admit to it now. But if your listeners want to hear what uh, frontline scientists who are willing to to speak out as to how severe the situation is, search Guy McPherson. Just consider that he does not admit to a massive part of the equation that could be in our favor. And that's what happens if we expose and halt climate engineering. So again, the severity of what's unfolding will be evident to all soon. No one has to believe me, and I, I'm not asking anybody to. I'm asking them to investigate. But the bottom line is, again, on the current course, um, we're going to end up a place we don't want to be, Richard. And all too soon. Let's do this. Let's go to some of these really graphic images, because, again, if people can see this as a visual picture, it really drives it home. Let's start with your item number one. You have a series of images there of cloud patterns uh, off the West Coast, other parts of the world. Kind of take us through these images. And for people who want to know how to get there, follow the drill, theothersideofmidnight.com. Click on tonight's banner for Saturday, November 17th, Dane Wingington. That will take you to his guest page. Scroll down in radio pictures to his items, Dane's items. And let's start with number one. What experiments are governments around the world carrying out in our skies without the knowledge and consent of populations? Well, we have satellite images that clearly reveal massive radio frequency manipulation of cloud cover. On those, I'm not sure if you guys numbered the same as what as the numbers I have. I think you're showing where there's ribbed patterns in mm-hmm. the cloud formations mm-hmm. there. Yep. And that's one of those is off the coast of, of Africa and where we we have the hurricane formation zone, if you will. And anyone who looks at that, now you don't need to know anything about meteorology to know that that's wrong. That is not a natural phenomenon. And you see the overlapping uh, waves, if you will, from different transmitters in parts of that. Why, what does the radio frequency microwave transmissions have to do with the saturation of the atmosphere with particulates? It helps to scatter and disperse those particulates. It can repel them in various directions. Now, if we weave that into the hurricane steering. Now, this is, this, a lot of people have trouble with this. That How could a hurricane possibly be steered? But in fact, there is more than enough historical data to confirm that they are much easier to steer than academia originally thought possible. In well, I remember, of, let me interrupt, I remember back in the 1950s, there was a project called Project Storm Fury, which looked at cloud seeding on various quadrants of hurricanes to see if by dumping silver halide out of, of, of an airplane in certain strategic parts of the storm, they could somehow manipulate it, control it, weaken it, maybe steer it. And then that kind of just disappeared from public discourse. What happened to Project Storm Fury? It worked better than they thought, and they wanted it. Just they wanted it. They needed it to disappear from public discourse. Project Storm Fury started in 1947. Ah. So we have 71 years of of hurricane manipulation. And so the even we we have original copies of uh, Collier's magazine from 1952, Popular Science from 1958 in which it was stated in those editions that there was already at that time a warming of two degrees Fahrenheit, which now we're told hasn't even happened yet. And that weather manipulation technology existed then to radically alter the equation. We have at the the beginning of my weekly broadcast, Global Alert News, 
I have a clip of then Vice President Lyndon Johnson in 1962 raving like a lunatic, stating that we had the power to control the weather, and he who controls the weather controls the world in 1962. Hmm. So for people who think this technology doesn't exist, it's absurd. We have academia. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm trying to remember there was a more recent example in front of a a Senate committee, uh, Secretary of Defense. He's a Republican. He's from New England. I can see his image. I can't remember his name. He actually talked about geoengineering, creating earthquakes, modifying storms, modifying climate, and he did this in an open public hearing in front of the Senate. And again, this stuff's available on YouTube if you know where to go and look, but no one's talking about it. They're not. Let's look at John Brennan as well, former CIA director John Brennan. Uh, and that, that is well publicized. If you search John Brennan geoengineering, anybody can watch him uh, discuss the we could, may, might have to use this. John Holder, an Obama science advisor, same, same thing. We may have to use geoengineering. Trump's people. Let's look at Trump's people who also are on the record in support of geoengineering. Now, that's kind of a – that's a paradox, is it not? If we have an administration that claims there's nothing wrong with the climate, then why would you need to utilize climate engineering to mitigate the problems with the climate? That doesn't mm-hmm. even make sense. So obviously this is about much more than just climate engineering. In the case of Trump's people and, – and again, I'm not in any political party. I'm simply saying that – I would argue the occupants of the White House are are simply puppets in the power structure play, whatever their political stripe is, although the theater is quite convincing and everybody's polarized and thus missing the wider pictures we're discussing. But in the case of Mr. Trump, in January of 2016, his top campaign people and Carson's uh, attended a meeting at a former U.S. Air Force general's home whom I know. They were – the purpose of the meeting was to brief them on the geoengineering issue. And – Certainly, we feel they knew already. They were given materials we supplied, and what has happened with the climate engineering programs? They they continue to be radically ramped up for the reasons I've already cited. The worse the climate collapse becomes, the more the military-industrial complex doubles down on their insanity. It's all they know how to do. Hmm. Whatever happened to that Einstein cliche? Keep doing the same thing is the definition of insanity if it doesn't work. Exactly. And hmm. that's, that's an arguably the position we're in. What are we doing with Earth's last remaining resources? We are building more weapons of mass destruction. Uh, you know, and, and in every way, shape, or form, we are looting, plundering, and pillaging the planet for what's left. And the population must be somehow pried from this current paradigm of of uh, willful blindness. Okay, let me ask some very controversial questions here. And just because I'm asking them doesn't mean I believe them, but let me just ask them anyway. Do you think there is a plan in place for the elites in huge underground bunkers or cities like we know that Putin has been building for decades in the uh, old Soviet Union, that when it all goes to hell in a handbasket, those with the right ticket to get in, think they can weather the storm, even if it's 10 or 20 years, till the planet reverts through this incredible uh, resiliency of life that you talked about about an hour ago, and they can come out to a kind of a verdant new world 
and billions of us useless eaters, to quote Kissinger, will have nicely and quietly just disappeared. Do I think data supports that conclusion? Yes, I do. Mm. The, the, the dumbs, the deep underground military bases, which there's ample evidence to corroborate. Will that, in fact, be a scenario that plays out? Uh, on the current course, paleo data would say no. Hang on, hang Why? on, hang on. Let's, let's talk about two different tracks. One, what they believe, and other, what will actually happen. Because remember, politics is 99% perception. So if these elites who control the planet believe they can be saved and the rest of us go away, would their policies be congruent with that perception, even if it's not backed up with real engineering? Yes. Yes. I would argue all available evidence would, would say – would lead us to exactly that conclusion. So they really As, think they can get away scot-free and the rest of us mm, – Let's go back to what I, what I went back, what I covered earlier in in this program, the psychoanalysis of those at the very top, and that profile is very clear, and there is very big blind spots in even what would otherwise be considered an intelligent individual when they have these forms of psychosis. Again, a near total lack of comprehension as to the consequences of their actions, even to themselves. The lust for power is immense is uh, very destructive, incurable. That's what we have at the top, behaving just like a cancer. What does a cancer do? Kills its host eventually. Yeah, but a cancer doesn't know that if it kills its host, it's going to kill itself. You know, that's the difference between human beings who supposedly have brains and cancer. Cancer is just a feedback loop. These are supposed to be bright, intelligent people with planetary vision and resources now. But let's look at other actions that they carry out. Again, uh, the nuclear detonations, building enough nuclear weaponry to exterminate humanity hundreds of times over. We, we see countless actions that indicate clearly this sort of rational thinking is not evident at the top. And like a cancer, each individual cell of which is just doing its own individual part, at a certain point, the whole system is like a cancer. That's, it's all uh, carrying out its own little part of the paradigm without any comprehension of the fact that the car just went th through the guardrails. And I would argue that's where we're at. I mean, that, that is where we're at. No, no matter how someone wants to perceive it, if we look at all available data, statistically speaking, the mathematical likelihood of uh, total collapse and perhaps total extinction for humanity in something in the order of a decade or even less, and I am not the only frontline researchers to come to that conclusion. I named McPherson and others, the Arctic Methane Emergency Group. Frontline polar ice researchers understanding the methane situation. There's enough methane in the Laptev Sea alone to turn this planet into Venus, literally into Venus. Mm. Let me put that. In, let me put that in statistical terms. It's thought there's as much as 10,000 gigatons of, of methane deposit in the Laptev Sea alone. If if one half of one percent releases, that would be a 400 percent increase on the current greenhouse gas forcing effect right now. If all of it releases, we're done hundreds of times over. And, and so the bottom line is that on the current trajectory, the severity of what we face is 
inarguable. It's absolutely inarguable for anybody who chooses to look at the data, and that's all I'm asking. So we can speculate about the various mindsets and agendas of those in power. Yeah, but I want you to do more than speculate, because you have a, a network of very interesting people scattered around the planet. You've been looking at this for 15, 20 years. There's got to be people that know that are raising signals quietly in the background that never want to go public. I would argue there is, and there's there's one interview from an insider that was uh, found deceased, uh, suicided in his car, closing the garage, running two weeks after the interview. But it's it, the title of the interview is called Deep Shield. It's it's on geoengineeringwatch.org. We believe it to be authentic. It was done in 2003. At that point in 2003, he felt was convinced, as many we believe in the programs are, that this was something that had to be done. And then on the current trajectory, humanity had 20 years or less, 20 years or less left from 2003. That's very similar to the time frame I've gone over. Mm. Very elaborate, very technologically detailed interview would encourage any of your listeners to read that, referring also to how the dispersions are done, how normally opposing countries, i.e. Russia, China, U.S., interact with these programs because of the cross-border ramifications. We know you can't geoengineer over your own country. It affects the whole world. And so there, there's even Senate documents, which we have posted at geoengineeringwatch.org. One is 800 pages long that references specifically the cooperation that will occur with major powers on these programs that will supersede other hostilities. They are all colluding and cooperating on these programs, all for the same reasons I've already cited, all because no one in those countries is willing to disclose this, uh, overturn the current paradigm, relinquish their power. None are willing. All want to keep business appearing as usual until the last possible moment. So, again, many within these programs are convinced what they're doing is something for the greater good, as many were with the atomic weapon weapons programs and and many other examples. I mean, how many examples do we need from the medical industry who who at least claim to be convinced that injecting mercury and aluminum into your system is is somehow a good thing? Hmm. Now, how, how can we have a whole industry that condones that when we have peer-reviewed study now that proves, that proves without aluminum in the equation, there would be no Alzheimer's in the normal human lifespan of 100 years. And yet, and yet, it's still being injected in vaccines. So I, we have so many examples within humanity of, of what would only appear to be... Um... See, I'm thinking that there are multiple levels to the deception and the, and the staggering you know, things which are confronting us. And I'll give you an example. Aluminum, of all the materials we know, is the only natural element and we think, I think it's because of the isomer spins in the nuclei that screens what we call the torsion field. You can literally make reflectors out of aluminum. You can use a, a telescope mirror coated with aluminum to reflect torsion waves at the focus of a telescope and put a detector there and actually detect this invisible field that surrounds us that in some models actually is responsible for our consciousness. Without the torsion field, you don't have conscious, you know, aware, you know, biological entities. <clears throat> if one wanted to dumb down a population, a global population, to basically disconnect them from the field, from their higher sources, their higher dimensional selves, communication beyond 3D, 
One way to do that would be to blanket the planet in aluminum so that the field literally could not reach these conscious entities. And when you look at how people are acting, they're acting more and more like they're more and more disconnected from source. They're disconnected from their higher connections that we've had going back centuries, thousands of years. In other words, is it possible that the aluminum spraying is not because of climate? It's to basically keep the sheep fat and happy until nothing can be done. Regarding some of the intricacies of reaching that conclusion are in areas of studies which your knowledge is certainly greater than mine. In regard to the conclusion, I certainly would agree that is an aspect of the equation, but it does not negate the other aspects. No, no. This goes in parallel, but I'm saying I'm watching populations in, in – just look at ancient versions of encyclopedias. You know, Forget modern, but if you go to old bookstores and you go to an encyclopedia for 200 years ago or 100 years ago, you had them filled with all kinds of fascinating information that is not available now to people. And you had people acting on that information. People now are surrounded by information and not very many people are acting at all. And I'm looking at these cross curves and I'm saying, what's the common denominator? They're less autonomous and they're more like a herd. And that seems to be almost like a, forget geoengineering, think of social engineering to get everyone to be fat and happy until there's nothing that can be done. I completely concur that the dumbing down and disconnecting of society and the fortifying of the herd mentality is absolutely a part of the equation. Absolutely concur. Well, I don't want to paint a totally horrible picture because if we give people with no way out, that's how they'll react. There's no way out. Let's talk about a few more specifics before we get to in, in the next segment, um, what we might do about this. We've got about three minutes till the top of the hour. What about, um, what about going back to those images? Go through a couple more of those images, and then we'll go to a break, and then we'll come back and talk about things that we can do to change the curve. Now, if you, could, if you could specify which image you want to look at, and the reason I'm careful with pulling other images up on my computer right now, I'm in an extremely remote location. And if I, if I take some of that bandwidth on my wireless communication, which is how I'm communicating with you right now, I, I could lose that connection. If you can refer to which image you, you, okay, you well, are okay, looking at let's, at let's, let's solve that then on the, on the other side of the break because we're coming up and I don't want to miss the break. People get very upset when I miss breaks, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> you got it. I'll try to get it up while we're off. That'll give me some bandwidth to do it. Okay. You're on the other side of midnight. My guest this morning is Dane Wigington, and we're talking about some very severe situations that if the current trend continues, maybe we won't. I know that sounds dire and drastic and rather fatalistic. I don't feel that, of course. I think there are things that we can do. When we come back on the other side of midnight with my guest, Dane Wingington, we're going to talk about what can we do to change this curve. You're on the other side. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall come back.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. everyone to the other side of midnight my guest this morning dane wigington and we're talking about global planetary change deliberate geoengineering of the planet beginning about 70 give or take years ago when it was realized at least according to some models and according to dane's position that the natural anthropogenic activities of civilization the burning of coal, the increasing use of fossil fuels, the development of the commuter society, all of these things dumping megatons of CO2 and other hydrocarbon molecules into the Earth's atmosphere was causing inevitable change, a warming, and a warming that really began to spike in the 1940s. And on the basis of that and projections, if this goes on, if this continues, a clandestine, subterranean, military-industrial effort was begun to mitigate this long-term trend and to basically keep the situation as normal as possible for as long as possible. Dane, have I summed it up correctly? Exactly on target. If I could fill in one important blank from before the break, that the, the deep underground bases the preparation for collapse, this is what must be considered. On the current course, uh, the notion that they will be able to resurface at some point in time with a planet that's still habitable would not fit any of the available science data. The equilibrium period, for example, after the Petum event, Paleocene, Eocene thermal maximum 55 million years ago, was about 10 to 20 million years. That's a long time to stay underground. Certainly can't happen. And if the feedback loops are severe enough, the process does not stop until a very inhospitable equilibrium is reached that may resemble something closer to Venus. And most people, Richard, don't realize. They think Venus is 900 degrees on the surface because it's so close to the sun. That's not true. Venus underwent a runaway greenhouse effect, exactly a scenario that is similar to what we're going through now. All things being equal, because of Venus's proximity to the sun, it would only be about 20 degrees warmer than Earth. And we are considerably across that divide right now. In fact, we're seeing a radical underreporting of high temperatures, radical underreporting everywhere we monitor, four and five degree underreporting, which means it is far, we are far further into the curb than we think. So the notion that those in power, that those in power may have, that they will ride this out underground would not uh, 
be supportable with available science data, if you will. Okay, so let me, I guess, ask one of those more controversial questions that, again, I'm not saying I believe this, but I'm going to ask it. Have we reached the point of no return? In regard to returning to the formerly thriving planet that we knew in any time frame that matters, the answer is a, a very definitive yes. We likely passed that threshold at least two to three decades ago. Can we still salvage part of Earth's life support systems? No one knows. Not me, not Dr. McPherson or other polar scientists. Bottom line is we are in uncharted territory. But I would argue, again, if, if, there, if life is given any chance at all, it finds a way. If we stop the destruction of the atmosphere, starting with stopping climate engineering, ozone layer would recover. Natural cloud formation, cumulus clouds that have a very profound cooling effect would, would absolutely, the hydrological cycle would go berserk. Again, huge repercussions, industrialized society in its current form, I would argue, is absolutely doomed and in the process of collapsing already. But could we still salvage some of Earth's life support systems? I choose to believe so. And I'm not willing to give up this fight ever. It's, it's a responsibility. So um, as far as my position goes, um, I feel there is still much worth fighting for. Okay. When you look at the planet, when you're doing these analyses, projections, what kind of a technological base are you, are you uh, extrapolating from? In other words, when you say that we could salvage part of the ecosphere, part of the biosphere, is that because we're dependent on fossil fuels and if we cut off fossil fuels, we basically kill billions of people? Or is it because there are ways within the known science and technology that we could have our cake and eat part of it too? No, there is no current technology that I am aware of that would allow that, and especially with the current population. What it means is the if you shut all forms of anthropogenic activity down right now, the inertia behind the wheels that are already turning is so vast that the heating would continue for centuries still. But again, because we have never been here, there is no paleo event to compare to. No one knows how profound the planet's life support response will be. It has survived everything in the past. It has never experienced humanity in this manner that we know of. But again, if we... I'm glad you put that caveat in that we know of, because frankly, I'm of the belief that we are only part of a cascade of high-tech civilizations that have faced this before and done things different that don't really show up in the fossil record because we're not looking for those signatures. It's certainly a possibility. I, I can't I can't deny that, and I would argue if there if there was strong evidence uh, that would corroborate that, uh, I'm sure there is plenty who would try to hide that evidence. So um, I, I can't deny such a possibility at all. I'm simply stating that there, there's available data makes clear there is so much inertia behind the current trajectory that even if we stop feeding that inertia right now, it will carry on for a very long time. We are faced with already very advanced fisheries collapse, crop collapse. Uh, the current paradigm cannot be sustained much longer. We are importing somewhere in the realm of $41 billion worth of food to the U.S. from countries that are starving to death to keep our shelves stocked to keep the American population pacified to the last possible moment again. So um, 
even if we shut down everything right now, we face unimaginable challenges. But even so, if there is any chance of saving anything, is that not worth fighting for? An example I've given before, and I, I, I'm going to use this again. If your child was in a burning house and you knew you had very little chance of saving that child, would you not try? Countless parents have. Exactly. Okay, um, let me do a couple of housekeeping things here. If you want to join the conversation, if you have some questions of Dane that I haven't thought to answer or ask, rather, and you think there may be answers coming that you'd like to hear, uh, give us a call at 917-889-8802. 917-889-8802. You can reach us directly by simply calling on your phone that number. Or you can reach us through Skype by calling that same number, 917-889-8802. And the second thing I want to ask you is, have you been following uh, Elon Musk and his his, uh, career of late? Not much. Okay. Are you aware that he has a master plan to take thousands of people within the next decade or so to Mars? I am aware of that, but again, I would argue such proposals are merely more fodder, more mass distraction that tends to um, prevent a population from understanding just how severe and immediate our situation is. Well, let me continue the speculative train. Suppose Musk is in on all the data you and I have talked about for the last couple hours. And suppose he's reached, he's a very bright guy, he's reached the conclusion that politically, economically, for a whole bunch of other reasons, not much is going to change here until we reach the end of the cliff. If you were a rational person with those resources and that amount of imagination and the ability to create engineering miracles, which he has done, what would be your sane response if not to try to provide a lifeboat for some of humanity in case the worst case projections come true. I would argue that at face value, again, the whole proposal is absurd when we have a, a planet that was beyond miraculous, thriving, that we have managed in the geologic blink of an eye to push toward mathematical certain near-term omnicide if we continue in the current course and and to think that we could then leap to another already dead planet and somehow revive it instead of trying to salvage this boat that is still at least for the moment still afloat um is simply something i i I feel is counterproductive at this point that effort should be focused on keeping the ship that's still afloat afloat and not leaping to one that's at the bottom of the sea and trying to resurrect it. Well, I watch Musk, and I, I look at the various diverse activities he's involved in. What's he done? He's, he's, he's revolutionizing the car, right? He's brought electrical transportation to a lot of people that never even imagined they'd be driving one. And the problem is that he's relying on ultimate power sources that are not going to be uh, environmentally beneficent. But if you have an electric vehicle, the source of the electricity can be changed in an instant if you have other alternatives in mind. And I'm not just thinking solar power, that kind of thing. I'm thinking real alternative energy 
which physically exists and has been suppressed. That's a whole conversation you and I probably should have off the air because I have quite a few technological miracles that could be brought in that are not being used or even talked about for political reasons, economic reasons, big oil reasons, that kind of thing. So, and then what, what's another company that he's doing? He's got his boring company, right? What's he doing? He's building underground facilities, tunnels, ostensibly for transportation, but with those kind of machines, you can build tunnels that can do anything, right? Certainly, there are profound technologies in regard to uh, quote-unquote renewable energy, and I, I am off-grid, as you uh, mentioned earlier and I mentioned. I have wind, solar, and hydropower. But it's important to remember with the current technologies, and I'm not, I'm not denying or negating those technologies that aren't currently known or utilized or uh, made available to the population, but with current, quote, renewable energies, they are simply energy extenders. They are not, quote, unquote, renewable. Even the battery banks, which I have here in my home, I have about, about 25,000 pounds of batteries that contain very toxic substances that are not renewable. The solar panels are, are at this point being fried at an exponential rate because of the intense UV. Wind turbines do require considerable maintenance. It takes a tremendous amount of fossil fuel to build a, a 450 foot tall wind turbine. I don't have turbines that high, but I'm, that's how big some of the commercial turbines are. But these are energy extenders and the population has been led to believe that we can just burn up all the fossil fuel and just switch to quote unquote renewables, which is uh, really a profound deception. Uh, hexafluorothane, one of the chemicals used for solar panel production, is 17,000 times more potent to greenhouse gas than CO2. Things we're not told. So again, I, I am on renewable energy, quote unquote. It is better than being on the grid, but there are just, there's so many aspects of um, the quote uh, green area of energy, and again, I'm, I'm not including the type of technologies you're referring to that, again, I'm sure there is much that we have not been told, but with current available technology, it's not so green as we've been led to believe. Well, all right, let's 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 do this. We've got about 45 minutes left in the show. Again, if anyone wants to join the conversation, 917-889-8802. Let's go, you know, you're, the last item on this list I've got in front of me of things I wanted to ask tonight is how do we stop the insanity? And I, we need some practical suggestions for how people can get involved in changing this, this curve that we're on. And what would we be looking at as alternatives if, as you just said, what we've been paraded in front of us as alternative energy is really just a stopgap? How much of a stopgap could we shift to before other things are brought online? Or have we reached the point of no return? The current paradigm was so completely in the wrong direction, so completely against uh, natural cycles and processes that uh, we definitely need to change direction completely. And, and I, I want to elaborate on that a moment. If I, could, if I could back up to what you asked earlier before the break on a couple of those photos, which I have up now, that two, just two, that would be important to point out to your listeners. It's number nine, uh, where you see the the image of those are radio frequency transmissions. You see the hurricane uh, uh, that's reaching landfall there, and you see the transmissions that are lit up all around the eastern 
U.S. Can you can you see that? Yeah, I'm trying to click on it. It says waiting for a response. I'm wondering if okay. our, our website's getting. Uh, there we are. Okay. okay I'm, I'm on it now. It's on number nine. Yep. And and that's imperative to show how a cyclonic rotation can be steered or held in place. You remember me discussing that the seated air mass with these electric conductive particulates can be repelled from these transmissions. So when the transmissions are fully energized from the next rad um, network, which is used for this purpose, and we have animations of this, I would encourage your listeners to search geoengineeringwatch.org, Hurricane Harvey, geoengineeringwatch.org, Hurricane Maria. They can see the actual animated loops of the cyclones being steered with these energizing transmission facilities. Very, very inarguable. So that storm will tend to drift where there are no transmitters energized. If if the, the transmitters are energized directly inland, it can hold the storm in place, as we have just recently seen with some storms that stayed in place, like Harvey, for a very extended period of time that they somehow knew a week ahead of time was going to do exactly that. So the fact that these transmissions can manipulate an air mass, even of that size, is absolutely inarguable and would encourage your listeners only to look at the loops at geoengineeringwatch.org. One more image I want to point out. Number six, the large spherical ice balls. Mm. This is a product of chemical ice nucleation, tends to build up around that core nucleating element. And if your listeners search Ice Balls Lake Michigan, you'd think, Richard, as, as we've discussed through this, that someone in some official agency would say something's wrong here, especially when we have circumstances of, in the case of Lake Michigan, we've had 75-pound perfectly spherical ice balls coating shorelines with water temperatures of over 40 degrees. How does that happen exactly? Mm. So it's important to remember that with chemical ice nucleation, it can nucleate storm moisture at temperatures far above freezing, has profound effects like this. And, and to leave it at this, your listeners, if they search, if they go to geoengineeringwatch.org on the top toolbar, there's whole sections, engineering winter, whole section on this, including lab tests showing chemical ice nucleating and biological ice nucleating elements dropped into a beaker of water that freezes it instantly in front of your face. So encourage people to understand that uh, the geoengineers can create very profound heating and cooling, depending on the scenario they're they're working towards. So just wanted to elaborate on those two pictures. And uh, as far as how people can help, I would argue this. Reaching a critical mass of awareness is the only way forward. And the, the consciousness that comes with that, with people realizing they're they're fighting for their life, the alter, altering of the herd mentality, which you mentioned, that's, that I would agree with you, has been... Uh, orchestrated by the power structure in so many ways, if we could break that down, if we could reach a critical mass of awareness, and that's how, by raising awareness so far, we have the wheels turning in this battle that we already have turning. That's why we have a legal team that's helping us. We have people in agencies and organizations that are helping us now because they become aware of this and realize that everything is at stake. And I would argue again, if we can reach that tipping point, that hundredth monkey of awareness, and this issue is finally disclosed. We would unite the entire planet populations from every country in a common cause. We would galvanize them in that cause. They would know that their government has participated in an experiment from which there is no return, an experiment without their knowledge or consent. I'm not saying our challenges would be over, but we would have taken the single greatest leap in the right direction. And in doing that, sharing 
very powerful visual materials like some of that some of which you have posted we have almost a hundred thousand copies of our 20 page you post a few pages out of our 20 page fact and photo summary booklet we have almost a hundred hundred thousand copies in circulation we make those downloadable PDFs available for not just that, but for our, our two-sided, uh, very effective color glossy flyers. Those links are available to anybody for free to download and copy from. We encourage that. We make them, we print in vast quantities for the materials. We've distributed over a million of our flyers. We supply the materials for our approximate cost of producing and shipping. We are only in this to try to change the course of the human race, to try to salvage something. So we're doing everything we can. Even the links for these publications are good to share online, also for free. You can share the full link. So let, me, let me ask a, a couple questions here. Um, the, the Southern Fire, the big one currently burning, is the what? Woolsey Fire, is that the name of it? The one in Southern California. Southern California, yes. yeah. Okay. Um, Kim and Chloe Cardassian, names I don't normally bring up on this show, got very upset a couple days ago when they found out that their home is less than 20 miles away from a nuclear power plant. I think it's the one that had the major nuclear accident back in the 60s that uh, Rocketdyne and, and North American Rockwell were quietly involved in that never got a lot of you know, normal publicity. Have you thought of targeting a campaign, both electronic, social media, Twitter, etc., to the stars who have lost homes, who have big megaphones, and who could be recruited to at least start looking at these issues. And Twitter is an incredible medium, as the president has shown us. You need star power, Dane. You need people that a lot of other people um, will pay attention to to raise the issue and get us to that critical mass. At least that's my political evaluation. I would completely agree with you. And that's the Santa Susana field laboratory you're referring to. And yes, that's correct. In the Woolsey fire. Yes, we are in fact trying to come up with context now that our attorneys would actually reach out to these people so that they know that, that there is substance to this. And we are trying to do that now. Referring back to the, uh, I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, the internationally recognized individuals from the entertainment industry that we're already communicating with. As you correctly also stated, Richard, these people need to form groups before they stand up or they will be cut down. And we're trying to encourage them to do exactly that. We're trying to get data in their hands. We've done this already. We've put material packages in the hand of Michael Moore, Clint Eastwood before he died. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, there, there are many more. We have, we have gotten materials into the hands of these people. We know they know. So at what point do they all, those who know, stand up? We don't know when that tipping point is, but I hope it's soon because time is not on our side. But we are actively engaged, and we need all the help we can get. I want to state that. We need all the help we can get reaching out to these people. The more individuals they hear from, the better. But I want to share this. This is critically important. When you're dealing with someone that we very much need in this battle, don't send them any fringe anything that someone posts on this issue. You have to send solid, credible data, and, and that's imperative. You, it, 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 we can only weather this storm in a watertight boat, so be careful what you send. Know what you send. Make sure it's solid, but in, as long as it is, we need all the help we can get with 
expanding the circle of awareness and, and the particular individuals that you speak of. Yes, I fully agree. We're trying, but we, we need all the help we can get. That's why these materials we've made available to anyone, everyone, solid. It's all done. The 20 page booklet is the most condensed fact fields um, in, in, with dire images that are inarguable. That is, that has uh, been our most effective publication by far. And, and, and that link can be shared from anybody's home computer for free to groups, organizations, individuals, Spot fires of awareness, if you will. We all need to help start those metaphorical spot fires of awareness until the blaze is so big it can't be put out. We need to get to that point soon. Okay, we've been focusing a lot for obvious reasons because we're based in New Mexico. We're in the United States. You live in California, United States, etc. We've been focusing kind of on North America and the U.S. What's going on regarding these rather dramatic changes and signatures that the end is not millions of years away and not a lifetime or two away, but much closer in other parts of the world and other communities and other nations. God, collapse is happening across the board. It's inarguable for anybody who chooses to look. I There's, guess I'm asking the question about political awareness. Oh, it's the same. It's here. It's almost non-existent. Governments around the globe, whether actively or passively, with very few exceptions, are participating in these programs. So they're engaged in the same sort of efforts to dumb down their populations or convince them that there's nothing to this uh, as our country is. So we're, we have contacts in South America that have distributed. We have Spanish translations of those booklets that you're seeing there, our flyers. Those are circulating in South America as well. We have contacts in many places around the globe, but the populations are behaving in much the same manner for some of the reasons you've already described. So uh, this is a daunting challenge, but as their world begins to collapse around them, for example, in, in Northern California for 15 years, I have said this is coming. It's coming. If climate engineering continues and they continue to ramp it up, this will happen. Exactly what has happened this summer in Northern California is what we at geoengineeringwatch.org have said would happen, had to happen with climate engineering continued. So now people who didn't want to face this issue, who wanted to convince themselves that everything would somehow magically always be okay and they could ignore all of this are realizing now that is not the case. So what I'm saying is by sowing these seeds, if even for people who don't want to wake up yet, if you, if you give them a booklet and avoid going into a long rant that just shuts people down or, or give them some kind of credible data, as their world begins to change around them, many of those people begin to wake up, and it, it can't happen overnight. The programming has simply been too intense, and the and the other factors that have made us less less intelligent. For your listeners who don't know, Richard, IQs in the U.S. have statistically dropped six to nine points. That's staggering. We are getting dumber by the day. That's a statistical fact, and we know the. In fact, I'm not sure if you've seen recently. There was just studies put out that we all know smoke is bad for us physically. We now have studies to prove the smoke is far worse for us cognitively, far worse. It's affecting our cognitive ability. And that's not even acknowledging the particulates in the smoke from climate engineering. And, and you, have a, you have an image there on, that you posted, image number, uh, number eight. That is massive aerosol spraying directly above the smoke. We just captured that this last week from the campfire that has killed 70 plus and there's still a thousand missing now massive aerosol spraying operations directly above the smoke 
that's settling into the smoke. We don't even know what's in those dispersions, but it's certainly mixed in with the smoke. We don't know what we're breathing. Back to Kissinger and, and Zabrinsky. What did Zabrinsky say? Zygmunt Brzezinski, who those who don't know who it is, it's presidential advisor from Johnson all the way to uh, the, the administration of a few years ago. So um, he stated on the record, it is exponentially easier with our technology today to kill a million people than to control them. You've seen that quote, right? Yes. So we don't know uh, how far advanced this is with the amount of experimentation with biological warfare. And back to what I stated, the more urgent situation, the planet on the current course stopping uh, or life support system shutting down in the very near future is, is imminent on the current course. But even more imminent is what will the power structure do if they know they're nearing the point that the population is going to wake up? Will they use existing methods, which they, the aerosol spraying operations are already in place, if they add something more lethal to that mix, game over. So that's the more immediate factor. But as we reach a critical mass of awareness, at what point might enough members in the military, like the Air Force generals, who have already contacted us and already are communicating with us and our legal team, at what point will enough people on the inside say, no, I'm not going to be a part of this? That's the point we need to reach. Well, they all have families. They have children. They have grandparents. They have support systems. They have neighborhoods. It's like, how can you excerpt all these people from life and expect them to become robots and simply carry out orders? Because they've been lied to. And they need to know they've been lied to. They've been told that what they're doing is something for the greater good, which couldn't be further from the truth. And that's back to the re reaching critical mass, to wake them up to the fact that they're being used as tools in their own omnicide, their families, the planet, the web of life. We need to reach that point of awareness, and we need to reach it soon. Okay, we reached another marker on the, on the show or at the bottom of the hour. Hold it there. My guest this morning, Dane Wigington. You're on the other side of midnight. When we come back, we're going to answer phones. You're all lined up. More room to come. 917-889-8802. We shall return. Of over 180 episodes. 
membership cost $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. everyone, Saturday night, November 17th, the other side of midnight. My guest this morning, Dane Wigington, we're talking about an apocalypse which has been so slow and so carefully managed that no one seems, except for a few, to have noticed. And when you notice, you're quickly told to step back into line, everything will be fine, they have it under control. I would like to make a suggestion. If everyone in our audience tonight were to take a, the link to this program, we're going to keep this link live so the entire show, not just the first hour, the entire show can be sent as a link to various people. If you're on Twitter and you're on Twitter with some of these celebrities, you know, like the folks that have lost homes in Northern California, who are, of course, now critically aware that something is really, really wrong. They're open to new ideas. They're open to solutions. They're open to maybe change in the conversation. Send them a link to this show. Let them listen to Dane go through the data and the prognostications, the extrapolations, the trend curves, and what's been done up till now. And the old cliche, you know, if you keep doing the same old thing and expect a different result, you're nuts. Well, we're nuts. We're collectively, as a planet, we're nuts because we're letting these folks, the tenth of one percent of one percent, I mean, whatever that tiny number is, we're letting them determine the future of all the rest of us. That can be changed. But as Dane has said, it can only be changed with awareness. So I would recommend that you send a copy of this show to as many interesting people as you know with the caveats that he's put out there to be careful on the internet because what you see on the internet, on YouTube, 99% of it is junk. It's hype, it's hysteria, it's for ratings, it's for FaceTime, it's not for data. People need to listen to people that actually have worked in these vineyards for a very long time to know how to separate the signal from the noise. Okay, we've got some calls. Dane, do you want to open the lines and go to a couple of calls? Because they've been very patient, and they may have really interesting questions. Absolutely. Okay, let's go to area three. I'm sorry, 432. 432, you are on the air. Welcome to the other side of midnight. Well, good morning. Good morning. I just wanted to make a comment about Hurricane Irma from last year. Uh, I have a satellite loop. And it never crosses land until it turns north from Cuba and passes over Florida. And if you watch it close, it makes little course corrections along the border of Cuba to stay off the land. It, it, it just skims along the border. I remember that. Yes, we actually talked about it on this show. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I just wanted to bring that out. Maybe that's something that the listeners could uh, search for and find. And 
Because that, that's evidence of what he's saying. That these Matthew things can did, be Matthew steered. Did, Matthew did the same. If you remember Hurricane Matthew, it skirted the shoreline until it, it, it finally uh, made landfall when it was not much left. So, again, if they look at the animations we have of these transmitters being energized and the effect it has on the storm circulation, it's, it's really inarguable. If they just search uh, geoengineeringwatch.org, Hurricane Harvey, or geoengineeringwatch.org, Hurricane Jose, or Hurricane Maria, uh, those animations are there. And uh, it will corroborate everything we're discussing right now. And over the oceans, this is important to understand, too. You, you guys have both have seen the, the fact that some of these hurricanes tend to remain a little weaker. And then the forecasters announce that they will strengthen radically. A rapid intensification, it's called, right before landfall. The cyclones are much easier to steer when they're not at full strength. And over the oceans, they can steer them with ionosphere heaters, facilities like HARP, very different transmission facility than the other NEXRAD facilities I mentioned. But you'll see it's, it's common for the cyclones to remain um, less intensified until they get closer to landfall. Now, let's look at the 12-year hurricane drought we had between 0506 and uh, 2017. What happened? Suddenly, everything's back with a vengeance. They were suppressing cyclones for an extended period of time. Even Hurricane Sandy, which was in that period, did extensive damage, but it was not a major hurricane impact. So the fact that they can make or break these storms, beyond question. The data is there to back that up. Hmm. Caller, anything else? No, no, thank you. I enjoy your Okay. Good night. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. Thank you. Okay, let's go to our Skype line here. Um you are on the air. Hello, Richard. Uh, John Francis. Ah, John, John, John Francis. Yes. Wonderful Go program. Uh, very, very timely. Um, you know, there's a saying that uh, where there is no vision, the people perish. And I think what, um, you know, the, we've lost the spiritual vision of why we're on, on earth and what, what our relationship is with nature and how nature can inspire us to go beyond nature to a spiritual uh, evolution. And those that are doing all this manipulation of the uh, environment and so forth, I think they really wouldn't care if it's all destroyed as long as they feel that an artificial um, world could be created in its place, one that they would have better control and monitoring over the few people that will remain to serve them. Um, and if you look at the pattern uh, in California in particular, uh, basically the message seems to be it's very dangerous to be around nature now. So I, I see perhaps this is a way of hurting people into uh, steel and concrete cities, getting them more away from nature and uh, losing touch with their spirituality and becoming more controlled. So I think it's important, uh, you know, to reestablish that spiritual vision of what nature can do to us and why we're here on this planet. I was wondering what Dane would like to say on that. I would agree with your philosophy on our disconnection from nature and our war against nature is ultimately a battle against ourselves. Is it not? Although various agendas likely exist uh, with land use and so forth, those agendas are moot points. On the current course, they will mean nothing. Uh, we're looking at a planet that won't support life much longer on, a, on the current course. So 
I'm, I'm simply at geoengineeringwatch.org. Our goal is not to in any way ignore other challenges, but to simply state that if we don't plug this hole in the bottom of the boat, the boat goes down, nothing else matters. The single greatest leap we can take, we must take in the right direction, is we must expose and halt climate engineering because it's the single greatest factor that is derailing that web of life of which you spoke. Single greatest factor at this point in time. Now, Dane, are you talking about cold turkey? Because it seems to me that if you cut everything off tomorrow, just assuming politically that could be done, the blowback for spent-up energies in various parts of the system trying to reach equilibrium could be catastrophic to millions, if not you know, billions of people. How would you phase this out in a way that would manage the return to normalcy? Now, you're, you're incredibly insightful. What you're discussing is called double catastrophe scenario. You are exactly correct. There is an unimaginable amount of energy built up in the system. But and you, in academia, the climate science community who doesn't admit geoengineering is going on tries to tell us if we ever started, we could never stop, ever, which is an absurd statement in and of itself. But I would argue this. We are so late in the game. The damage is so radical, so profound that a complete cessation must occur regardless of the blowback. The patient is nearly on life support at this point in time. Uh, it's it's the, the heroin addict that you has to be cut off completely or he will die no matter how severe the withdrawals are, has to be cut off from the problem. And, and that's the point we're at now. We have too little time left to phase out, I would argue. A complete cessation would be necessary. Industrialized civilization is in the process of collapsing already. So climate engineering cannot be carried on indefinitely, period. And we're looking at, again, aircraft that are having an increasingly difficult time reaching certain altitudes, let alone carrying payloads, the kind of payloads that these aircraft uh, are carrying. So their ability to carry this on is already waning. We must stop. We must allow the hydrological cycle to resume. We must allow the ozone layer to begin to recover. And we simply don't have time to, quote, phase out at this point. Okay, let me introduce another concept. I think, and I know you have an incredibly packed schedule, but if you can't listen live tomorrow night to my guest, James, Dr. James DeMeo, who's going to be talking for three hours on actual use in sub-Saharan Africa, in the American Southwest, of technology, hyperdimensional torsion field technology called orgone engineering, came from William Reich. He's going to talk for three hours about using this in locales where the, 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 the kind of mainstream radio frequency modulation is not being used. This is an alternative technology which could manage and engineer and create uh, an equilibrium in, in an unequilibrium situation where if we stop the geoengineering tomorrow and we use these technologies to, to ameliorate the blowback, we could save an awful lot of people and save the planet at the same time. And you won't know what I'm talking about until you listen to the program either live or I send you a copy after we do it tomorrow night. But this is, again, proven technology which has been used in other parts of the world. And when, when he's tried to bring it to the States, he's been shut down just like that. I'm, I'm not – I will admit that I, I cannot 
uh, know the results of those technologies. I have not seen the results in any tangible way. I'm not, I'm not negating any possibilities, but I'm saying if there's a part of the world that's in equilibrium right now from such technologies, I, I don't know where that would be. We have not seen it or identified um, such equilibrium at this point. I hope that there's, that, that there's some sort of technology that exists, but um, at this point, again, we continue to plunge through the air toward the bottom of the canyon. So if anybody has any uh, profound cards left to play, they need to play them uh, immediately uh, because, again, time is not on our side. And all I can do at this point, Richard, is to report on what the frontline facts actually are. And, again, reaching a critical mass of awareness under any scenario is a must. Well, going back to my friend Arthur, <clears throat> any sufficiently advanced technologies is indistinguishable from magic. So we're going to talk about a bit of technological magic tomorrow night. And if you're not aware of it, you should be aware of it, and we should factor it into the overall solution. John, do you have anything else? Um, well, I just wanted to say that what's happening here by this, by this um, degradation of the environment is not just physical, that it's also affecting the life force, uh, which you're going to be talking about tomorrow, which is orgone is another name for the life force. And when that goes, our mental functions go down, and then we can't act intelligently to – it becomes a vicious cycle, in other words. Well, that goes to, so we my, have to my thesis earlier in the show about spreading amazing amounts of aluminum around the entire mm. planet. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. odd that it's that, that particular element that, that has been used for this because there are a number of desiccants, but aluminum uniquely interferes with the torsion field, uniquely. Yeah. It's interesting, the Roman Empire supposedly collapsed because of lead in the pipes. So maybe ours is going to collapse due to aluminum. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. John, thank you so much. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye-bye. Um, Dane, I want you to talk about Gavin Newsom. We just had an election. Gavin Newsom, who used to be mayor of San Francisco, you know, went up the food chain, is now governor of the state of California, succeeding Jerry Brown. Talk about your interaction with Gavin Newsom as the governor now on this specific, vastly important subject. I, a private meeting was arranged with uh, Governor-elect Newsom and myself in his office in the Capitol with his top aide for what, me to present what, data. What, what time frames? We need time frames here. That was in 2014. Okay. That was in 2014. And... Mr. Newsom and his aide, of course, couldn't dispute the data presented. We're talking about NASA satellite imagery and so forth. And as I, I posted in the article, uh, he certainly at one point sat back and took a deep breath in, in angst, and he said, I didn't need this, and um, hmm. assured me he would, he would uh, follow up, distribute the data he was left with, none of which occurred. Um, Gavin knows how long his leash is. The, the, the meeting was arranged from a mutual contact that Gavin and I both have. And uh, bottom line is Gavin is a, a part of the criminal cabal that masquerades as a government with his own interests. Hmm. So now that he's governor, now that he's in the hot seat, now that everybody's going to be looking to him to solve the California problem, would it be time for people to maybe – email him or tweet him and ask him about these briefings and what he's doing based on the data he was given? 
Absolutely. All I ask is incredible data. You, you correctly stated the stuff that floats around on the internet by people who just want views on their channel. That doesn't help our cause. It needs to be solid, credible data. That's why we try to make that so available to people. So yes, a resounding yes. We need people to send out such contacts, do it professionally with professional comments. Uh, don't sound like a raving lunatic. Yes, that will help. And we have also agencies like EPA. I had top level EPA meeting arranged by a congressional rep in Sacramento, closed door meeting, five top EPA reps, told to my face, the whole system is rigged, bottom to top. They are told to test for combustion particulates only. The rest of the samples go out the window. They're not even looking for the elements used in climate engineering. They're told not to look for them. The, the, the equipment testing data for your listeners so they understand, air quality testing tests PM10, 10 microns or PM2.5, 2.5 microns at best. We're talking about particles that are exponentially smaller. They go completely under the radar, even though they're exponentially more harmful. Whole system has been designed for decades not to reveal this issue. Hmm. Well, it's it's a huge problem, but I'm kind of with you. I have a feeling that if we make one crack in the dam, mixing our metaphors madly, um, very rapid change could occur very quickly because people are now very, very alerted that something is really wrong. I can't tell you how many mainstream commentators I listen to on network television who are commenting on how wrong this whole California fire situation is. They don't know what's wrong, but they know something is wrong. Thank you for that metaphor. It is, it is absolutely the best metaphor for this scenario. If we could put that proverbial crack in the dam that the power structure can't plug at that point, there's a paradigm shift. Again, not saying our, our troubles are over, but it would be a shockwave around the globe. And that's how people need to think. We don't need to dismantle the entire dam. It just needs to have a crack put in it that can't be plugged. Do you, have, be do you have any tutorials on geoengineering, which, by the way, is linked next to your picture at the bottom of the guest page tonight? Um, do you have any tutorials on how people should approach the political system, what's credible, what's not credible, what to do, what never not to do, that kind of thing? Yes. If they look at the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org, there's an activist suggestions page right near the top. There's a flaming arrow link with an intro letter already prepared, credible links already prepared, ready to mail out. Um, all, all that's there. There's a, in the center of the homepage, there's a answers to the most commonly asked questions on climate engineering, 13 very short two and three minute videos, video tutorials, all right there to give people the, the basic building blocks of the issue. Everything's there on the homepage. I'll tell you what, let's go through some of those questions just to familiarize people who may not, you know, get to your webpage tonight. Yes. If we, I don't know any specific ones that you, you have, but the bottom line is first that sharing credible printed data Compelling printed data is exponentially more effective than, again, running out in the street, dragging people with you, pointing at the sky and ranting. So that's, that's critically important. The, the mathematical equation, Richard, and pe because people choose to believe they're helpless, they can't make a difference, which couldn't be further from the truth. And mathematically, I, I know you know this equation, but if, if, you, if someone shared credible data with two people on the first day of a 30-day month and those two, two each the second day and so on for 30 days – we're into many millions at the end of 30 days. That's how fast we can reach a critical mass of awareness. So it's simply an instruction sheet on how to go about uh, connecting, communicating, sharing data, expanding that circle, holding viewings, 
a lot of data there. There's uh, links within those links, many, many hyperlinks within each of our posts, the blue highlighted hyperlinks. Those go to other uh, reports, uh, how, to, how to introduce geoengineering to media and the uninformed. There's many, many helpful tools there. We just need people to put them to use. I think what we ought to do is put a link to geoengineering at the top of our page because a lot of people, like six, ten thousand a day, come and look at stuff on on the website. So if we put that at the top and banner it in some way, so people know this is where you can find out how to reach connected, influential people. They call them these days not celebrities; they call them influencers. True, and on on the. The care that's needed, even with searching a website, for example, many uh, sometimes forget that our site is geoengineeringwatch.org, not just geoengineering.org, because geoengineering.org is a pro-geoengineering site put out by power structure sources. So we're, oh we're navigating God. we're navigating a bit of a gauntlet, but if they simply remember geoengineeringwatch.org, and, and again, unfortunately, as I told you earlier in the broadcast, that formerly – if they just searched the geoengineering term, we would be top and center of the first page. Now Google has totally deleted us from their 19 pages. So it's important to remember the exact website term. Again, our site, non-political, so it doesn't alienate anybody from any side of the political fence. No advertising on the site. We're simply a data repository. So people, I hope, will feel confident sharing that uh, site with anyone and everyone, regardless of their political affiliation. One of the things that's going to happen in Washington with the new Congress and with the Democrats taking control in the House from the Republicans, a whole bunch of committees are going to start hold hearings about social uh, media, Facebook, the whole Facebook debacle and all that. <clears throat> Is it possible for you to get on witness lists to testify about deliberate suppression of information like Google <coughs> Excuse me. As 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 part of these uh, uh, hearings, well, certainly I would be available for such an opportunity. We th that's the sort of thing that we could definitely use help um, from activists to try to find the channels by which such a connection could be made. We, we our legal team would even uh, participate with such a, a communication if the opportunity arose. So. Uh, we need desperately need activists to to help start some of these spot fires of awareness or to open certain help us open certain doors we're spread so unimaginably thin on this end i mean again i'm doing 80 hours a week and i i can't begin to keep up i can well imagine so if you're putting out a call for volunteers what kind of ecological niches would you need from an active audience that could help you put the crack in the dam I think that list is very long. And, and again, I, I look at this in the manner of instead of us all lining up like the British and fighting in a big row that we're from whatever rock or tree that we have in our vicinity, you know, we, we start those spot fires of awareness that would expand from whatever our personal setting is. And that's the type of instructions we put there so that people don't feel they um, are helpless because they haven't been able to organize some big group or gathering in their region they're able to sow the seeds that will will sprout themselves. As you said, people know something is very wrong now. You put the right seed in the right location, it will sprout, and those people will find their way down this rabbit hole. But we need to give them the seed, and, and we've tried to prepare that as best as we can. So um, those instructions are there, and again, at the, at the point in time we reach a, a, a high enough 
level of awareness, Richard, I would argue so many wheels will begin to turn on their own. People that are qualified, capable of organizing things on a larger scale uh, to to really propel the awareness forward. But but the data, the seeds, the instructions are all there. Homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. Okay, geoengineeringwatch.org. We'll make sure that's the, the featured headline because to me, there can be no other problem bigger than this problem. I mean, I like looking at opportunities, but this is a problem and it needs a political solution. It needs a crack in that dam. And again, I think approaching celebrities who literally watch their homes go up in flames and are wondering what the hell happened here. They're in a vulnerable position where they're open for other possibilities, and that's your target of opportunity. Completely agree. And that's why that's where the data comes in um, that, that's so necessary. Again, that the 20-page fact and photo summary booklet is so clear. That can be emailed. The full PDF can be emailed. You don't even have to leave your own home computer. People can go through I mean, it page by page. Can you imagine if, if Kim Kardashian went marching into Donald Trump's Oval Office and said, what the hell is this? Why didn't you tell me about this when I was here the last time? That kind of thing. Thinking outside the box. We need outside the box thinking. But they need to do it in unison with others because one of the internationally recognized celebrities I I alluded to earlier has already been warned to leave this issue alone. Can you mention who that is? I cannot. Oh, too bad. Mm, See, is it is he or she old? No, I won't do that. Yes. Okay. okay, we only got yes. two or three minutes here. What would you like to say in summation, Dane? And we will obviously have you back. I want to monitor political progress because we've got incredible targets of opportunity in the Hollywood community who have lost everything because of geoengineering. I simply want to make clear that we must remember those in power are not gods and we are not helpless. And if we simply begin marching in the right direction, with an effective and efficient strategy, we can make immense progress. Richard, on, a, on the highest mountain, and I'm, I don't know what climbing you may or may not have done, but from the bottom, when you stare at the summit, it, it seems unimaginably far away and impossible to reach. But at the end of the day, if you keep climbing, you can't imagine how far you've gone. And I, I know this experience, and I, I, I've tried to uh, experience it as many times as I, I could because it's a metaphor for life for me. If we simply start marching in the right direction, again, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, as we all know that proverb. We, we are all needed at the front line now. Whatever our situation, whatever our ability to help, again, from our own home computers, we can do an immense amount of good. We simply need people to get off the bench, get on the playing field, and help us move this ball forward. Well, I want to thank you so much for a very important uh, tutorial on this tonight. It's only the beginning of several that I think we ought to be doing. Because to me, as I said a moment ago, there can be no bigger problem that we can tackle. This is, again, not something insurmountable. It's something we can tackle because everybody lives on this planet. And even if the guys, the one-tenth of one percent who think they're going to ride out the storm, if we can show them that their calculations are kind of in error – just imagine the kind of change that we could positively create. You know, it only takes one seed of doubt, one possible, well, wait a minute, what if we don't, or my experts don't know everything? So we need to sow doubt within the ranks to get breakthroughs. At least that's my assessment. Fully agree. 
Thank you. Dane, thank you so much. My guest this morning, Dane Wigington, we've been talking about nothing less than the fate of the entire planet. Tomorrow night we pick up with part two with Dr. James DeMeo and things that can be done with extraordinary finesse to change and curve. Until then, tomorrow night, same time, same bad channel, third star on the left, straight on to the morning. Good night, everyone.